And welcome back to another episode of Pop Culture Interviews, where I am joined today by none other than something is waiting, frontman and vocalist Eddie Govo, also a DJ, which like I have so many questions about that to begin with, and we're going to get into that later, but tell me, Eddie, how's it going? Uh, hey! It's going great um, on this lovely whatever day it is today, Tuesday. It's nice, warm weather. I'm stoked on it. So everything's good. Good. Glad to hear it. So, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I know we've been planning this for what feels like forever now. I appreciate it. I mean, it's I'm on like this kind of press tour where I'm doing these interviews um, leading up to our release, which is still like three weeks away. So I'll have some more after this. I already had one that was uh, released about a week ago. And um, yeah, I like doing them. This is the right time for it. It's the time where we have the most going on when a release comes out. So Very true. Very exciting. So for all of those listening that don't know you, don't know the band, tell us a bit. What is the Something is Waiting band? Something is Waiting is a band that (laughs) is from Chicago. We're, uh, for lack of a better description, a band that I would describe as a grunge metal crossover. Um, We've been a band for six years, going on seven. This is our third release. We've just been, for the last six years, gigging pretty nonstop. We had to stop during COVID, obviously. So we took about what would kind of translate to about an 18-month break from live shows. And as soon as live shows get back rolling again, we jumped right back in. But we're a band that um, we go pretty hard in Chicago and we play a lot of out of town gigs. And like you said already, I'm the singer. I'm just the singer. I don't play guitar. I don't do anything. We have a guitarist. His name's William Thomas Fay, and he plays guitar and bass simultaneously. And um, our drummer, Iden Alexander, is the drummer. He's been the drummer since day one. And we're a three piece. So how does bass and guitar simultaneously work like in a live setting? Uh, Our guitarist, Bill, got the idea. I was right next to him when he got the idea. We initially started out as a five-piece, Something is Waiting. And Mm -hmm. actually it was a four-piece. And then almost immediately within the first year, it morphed into a five-piece. But that's when we really started to get rolling. We were a five-piece. And we then, because our... um, and I said this recently in another, in another interview, but it was fresh in my head. Our guitarist, Pete Grossman, he ha- he has a wife and two children. And we, uh, you know, we like to do some stupid shit as far as scheduling goes. You know, like we, we, you know, we, uh, we play a lot of shows on weeknights. And I think that um, his schedule wasn't conducive to necessarily being with us at that moment. Uh, our original bassist, Eddie Lynn Paris, he... Was, was in another band that he really wanted to start pushing. So what happened was we were kind of, particularly with Eddie, we knew that he was going to be leaving soon and we were going to be out of basis. And then and, um, we played a show once at Cobra Lounge with a band called Local H, which is Chicago Staples and Scott from Local H. 
he's the only guitarist and bassist in his band. They're a two-piece band. They've had many hits on on the radio, and they've they've been a band. They got really really popular in the '90s. But uh, it was a really innovative concept, which was he was running through basically a bass cap and guitar cap simultaneously for a primitive explanation. And what happened was when we were playing with them, our guitarist Bill was really inspired by that because we knew we had to start finding some new people to work with soon. And Mar, like, I mean, this is the best way I can describe it, which is our band. We have a very distinct way we need to sound and we have to really everyone who's jams with us has to understand what we're trying to get across or else we already know that it would be a total failure. It would not work out. It would not translate well. We probably have access to a lot of people who wouldn't mind jamming with us, but if they're not, you can't just plug in a standard heavy metal player to us and get the exact same vibe we're looking for. So what happened was Bill just gave it a whirl and he came in about two practices after the idea was born at that show. And he had a very primitive concept of running uh, essentially a guitar and bass simultaneously years later he's evolved it to the point where it's very very seamless and we uh enjoy that because ultimately he's able to take on the role of a guitarist and a bassist and we don't need to find a new any new members and it's one less person to deal with the only problem would be we have an issue where our gear keeps growing and we only have three people so it's our load-ins are getting more and more difficult by the month, it seems. But the ability to have less people in the room and less opinions actually ends up serving our band well. The more we're a very, I would say, very democratic band, to the point where if we're bouncing ideas off each other, when it gets to the point where it's five, maybe six people, or whatever, it could get muddy. And you'll find a lot of times when you get to those bands where there's many, many people in it, it it becomes more of a dictatorship than a democracy. Because someone has to be like, this is the direction we're going. Because if you have seven opinions, it's it'd be a fucking nightmare. You'd never get anything done. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Uh, so that brings me to one of my following questions. You guys have had quite a few shows since, I want to say, the springtime till now. You have another show coming up on the 18th, which I'm very excited for personally, <laughs> because it's an album release show. And you mentioned more equipment, less people. What is some of the best parts of like putting on a show and what are some of like your biggest pet peeves? Sure. And then, um, and I, I'm not saying you got confused by it because some people are, it's a very confusing week for us, which is- 14th, the album, the album release exactly. is the 18th. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the album, for everyone listening, the album release is on Friday the 18th. That being yes. said, if you live in Chicago or Chicagoland or want to travel up for this, you can go see us at the Empty Bottle which is at uh, like Western and Augusta and Ukraine village August 14th. And you can get the record there. We're going to play a lot of songs off the new record that night. And that's kind of a, a lighting of the candle for what we have a great, like what would be a great week for us. We actually, and I'm kind of, it'll probably be announced by the time this airs, but if not, I'm, this is an exclusive, which is Kuma's is releasing our burger that week. So if you go to Kuma's Corner, uh, enjoy their great heavy metal burgers, you'll be able to get the Something is Waiting burger starting the night of our record release show. And it goes from there. Uh, we have a listening party planned also at Kuma's that week. That'll be announced as well. And a couple other uh, fun things will be coming on the pike. But yeah, that'll be our record release show that night. We're playing with a band called Coat Goat, who are dear friends, for old friends of ours. We actually, I think, played their rec record release show with them in the first year we started as a band, but uh, we go way back with those dudes. They're an outstanding band. I saw them this past weekend. They're still killing it. 
Our friend Chris Rue is going to be DJing. He's in a band called These Beasts, and he's going to spin vinyl. You mentioned me DJing. That's one thing I do not mess with because I I have a vast vinyl collection. I know what it is to carry that shit, and I do not drag vinyl to any club. I bring um, digital setups, and I do it that way. So as far as drawbacks for the show, uh, for playing shows, which I think was the initial question, it's the only drawbacks are in our city, this is the main drawback right now. And it's not, it doesn't become problematic for us, but anyone who's in a band right now that's doing it, I don't care how big or small you are. Right now, post-COVID, so many bands are making up for uh, shows and tours that got canceled during COVID. And because of that, in our great city of Chicago, there on any given fucking night are four to five amazing shows that the average fan has to pick and choose from. So it's it's that, which is so many uh, shows that are all attacking the same market. And then also, we living in Chicago have like two months of good weather a year. So people just sometimes don't want to be in a club in the city during the summer. They're out partying outside and enjoying that before it gets horrible in T-minus like four weeks. Honestly, so, yeah. Yeah. So that's the only thing that's the drawback right now, which is, and we've, I've discussed this with big bands, small bands. It's a lot of people not even fighting for over the same dollars because what you're seeing is cover charges are going up. Mm -hmm. uh, so everyone's like, no matter what, we got to get our guarantees. So you're going to see that um, concert ticket prices across the board are going up. It's just mainly about keep getting people out there. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to have much of a problem with that show. I think that show is going to be very well attended. And also that show happens to be free. We like to do that with record release shows because it gives people incentive to actually buy the ALP. You know, it's like, hey, if we're getting people out there, obviously they're going to want to spend money on drinks. I hope they do. And our crowd has a tendency to rage pretty hard. So it, buying the drinks seems to always come first with them, you know? Mm. They would probably have a few dollars left over to buy the LP, which is going to be, I'm assuming, around 20 bucks that night. The LP is already up for pre-order right now, and we're ripping through those right now. So if anyone out there is listening, please buy one. Um, you'll get it in advance. If you live in a different state, you will get it a few days before it's released for sure. And then, again, if you're waiting for it to, to test it out first, it'll be available on all platforms via Spotify, Apple Music on August 18th. But... You know, with drawbacks, it's that. It's loading in gear. It's mm -hmm. when we go to out-of-town shows, which we play often, we're always a band that, uh, for whatever reason, to our detriment in a lot of ways, we like to travel. We don't have a problem traveling during the winter. Mm -hmm. And it gets messy in the winter. We got, yeah. we got a couple really bad weather predicaments over the course of this past winter. Two stick out which is we played in, we played an excellent show in Madison, Wisconsin around December. I want to mm -hmm. say this past December and it was zero degrees out. And I remember the, it was literally zero. Oof. And I remember the load in, which is very common in some clubs we play. There's what's called, there was a lack and it was a great club. I'm not going to rip on the club at all. We'll be back there. I'm sure. But it was just a club that was packed. And also, there was no place to store gear. So kind of what you do with, when you're in a band that's our size, and everyone knows this, is you kind of start what's called staging. It's like, it's almost there's a stage, no pun intended. There's a, there's a, a time, I should say, <laughs> before, before you load your gear into the club where you're kind of getting the shit a little ready. 
Mm-hmm. You'll see that if, like if you go to Metro, you probably won't see that, but you'll see that like clubs, like maybe like a Reggie's or some shit. Bands are kind of mm-hmm. fucking around you're outside in the parking lot and all that stuff. Imagine doing that when it's zero degrees out. And <laughs> that was and, and a packed club. And we'll that we had a lovely evening that night, but it was just that got messy. I definitely remember when we were coming back from Detroit this past February, I want to say we got caught in a blizzard on the way home. And we barely made it to like our sleeping point. We like we have a tendency to do this, which is this is very common with bands as well. But your goal is unless you're staying with like a friend in the city that you're playing, we always play like big. All right. So if like we're playing Detroit or Detroit-ish, it's going to be either we're staying there with say there's we're not posting up with a friend we'll Mm -hmm. probably do the following which is we'll drive about an hour or two after the show towards home chicago Mm -hmm. and we will plan to like crash in what would be some suburb of that state suburban michigan if you will it's just that Mm -hmm. we didn't we weren't there at the time that we were driving into a blizzard and we barely got to like our destination without having to like kind of pull over but we got there and it was real messy and uh that's that happens quite a bit like we always seem to be on the road we we always go on the road on weekends minimally and it's always uh sloshy messy the best times though are when we're able to go from an environment like chicago being cold down mm-hmm. south and it's mm-hmm. like 30 degrees warmer and it's yeah like, and those 30 like, degrees make a fucking difference Oh, we were we were texting people. We did like a run to Louisville, Nashville this past around Thanksgiving, and it was freezing here. And as soon as we were just driving south, it just kept getting warmer and warmer. And we're like, yes. And thirty degrees warmer makes a huge difference, especially if you feel like once you get down there, your body temperature's not used to it. You feel like you're Superman. So it's even if it's fifty five degrees out, you're like it's so warm. You want to take your shirt off because it's just. But it's 55 degrees. It's just that we're so used to, at that point, 20 degrees here, you know? And that reminds me of, like, in February, I went to Mexico with my mom. And oh, hell yeah. Same, yeah, it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't as hot as it would be over the summer. But in comparison to negative weather here, I was over there, I was like, oh, my God, no. Like, I'm ready to go to the beach. It's <laughs> like, it's cold out. I was like, no you're wrong. It's not. She's like, it's only like your guys is equivalent of like 60 degrees. And I was like, yes, that is hot right now. <laughs> so I totally get that aspect of it. But as far as a band, and you did touch upon it a little bit in regards to the oversaturation after COVID. So you guys have been a band for about six, seven years now. And besides the oversaturation, like during COVID, what adjustments did you find yourselves like needing to make or post-COVID? Check this out. So some people know this, which is we were on stage when COVID was announced. We were playing a show. I just mentioned Reggie's. We were playing a show at Reggie's. We were opening for a band called Bongzilla. Uh, anyone who knows our scene knows that they're legends. They've been around for a million years and they're outstanding. Just saw them this past weekend, actually. I love that band. They're still killing it. We're on stage with them at Reggie's, all right? And the show... To put it in perspective, COVID is everyone, the news was getting around the previous week to what it was, but no one was kind of taking it seriously. I believe the first reported U.S. case was in Washington, maybe. And then it, it just drifted over and everyone said, OK, this is an, this is eminently going to affect us. And we mainly shut down the city. And to put it in perspective, there was about 100 pre-sales for that show. And 
like 35 people showed up from the pre-sales. Like everyone just said, take my money. I'm staying home. And we ended up playing the show. They almost canceled it, but it did go, it, it did end up happening. And I remember being on stage right before Bongzilla is about to go on. We're finishing up. And I said something to the effect of, yeah, guys, it's going to be a rough couple, two or three weeks, but like, we'll see you in three weeks. And then we'll get back and we'll rock the place. And everyone gave me like a golf clap. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we will. We'll have a rough two or three weeks, but we'll get back to it. And then 18 months minimally later, you know, we're still wrapped. We were still wrapped up in it. Yeah. So what happened with us was we had an unannounced East Coast tour that was coming together. And we were going to go do essentially a full week on the East Coast. Uh, That just got completely ousted. And we still haven't made our way back there, but it's time to start thinking about that heavily. And we, like big boys, took about two weeks before we met up. And then we met up in a socially distanced fashion, if memory serves. And we said, okay, here's the thing. We could just go and retreat back to our houses and do all the stuff that, listen, it was, COVID was a fun time, okay? But like, we realized that, you know, we, we know ourselves personally, and we know that, like, things like sitting in the house and drinking all the time could get out of fucking hand really quick. So we said, that's going to have a place in our lives for a little bit and doing the whole sitting, watching movies, eating, drinking, whatever, and that whole thing. But if we could trust each other and be big boys about this and show up to a practice space and socially distance and make sure we're not being complete fucking idiots during this COVID times, meaning like going out without masks. At that point, we had heard of some places, bars, for example, that were under the radar still running. And we're like, we need to kind of avoid that shit. If we could all do this and be honest with ourselves, like each other, we could jam. And I, I wanted, we definitely started masked up. And then we just slowly evolved until vaxes started to go around and we were all first wave vaxxers like not first wave but like as soon as we we got them we got them quick mm-hmm. and then after that we were very very comfortable around each other for obvious reasons but mm-hmm. um we only had one covid scare during the band's uh time jamming during covid which was our drummer got a false positive once and it was around christmas and we all got tested immediately i, I took 11 covid tests during the course of covid passed everyone got a 65 but I passed everyone and then I passed everyone and there was a false positive that happened with him. And then he took like a couple tests over the, over the days later and he was fine. So we were real lucky. We, no one got sick. And then the only time we really got sick during COVID, which is ironically um, it's because of our practice space. What happened was the owner of the evil owner of our practice space and the name of our practice space will remain nameless fucking mm-hmm. in order to cut corners during covid in order to like um save money he turned off the heat on the practice space because he assumed no bands were coming in yeah. even though all the bands were still paying the rents every month and they had the option to come in Ooh. He was right that bands really weren't coming in, but we were one of the only ones, if not the only one that was coming in and doing it Mm -hmm. right. And we were sending emails like, hey, can you turn the heat on? And he was making excuses like I'm getting the heater service, all this bullshit. Like you don't want to turn the fucking heater on because if it's a big warehouse space, there's kind of two ways you could turn on, which is on full blast or off. Like there's no Mm -hmm. like thermostat shit, you know, fucking it's insane. 
So he turned the heat off on us. And I distinctly remember writing several songs, probably three of them, that we were piecing together while shivering. We were in winter coats and blowing on our hands while we were writing these songs. It was insane. And I was like, wow, I have the common cold because our practice space owner is an asshole. Oh, my God. That's awful. But I mean, also kind of makes for a sick fucking story. <laughs> I and it's funny because I know that I know two of the songs that we wrote and we pieced together during that were coincidentally two of the slower songs on the record. Because it's like you can't you can't play fast during it, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. that was that was did happen for sure. And then eventually it got um, to the summer. And that's when stuff organically started to loosen up a little bit and people started to find out how to navigate COVID. I, I went insane early on with COVID. I was pounding vitamin C to the point where I was waking up kind of like shaking from it, how much vitamin C was coursing through my body. I was overdosing on vitamin fucking C. Oh my and, God. <laughs> so, that's all the awesome. fucking yeah. things. <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely brought a huge, one of the first jams we had, I brought a huge can of Lysol. Like hospital strength, it's like it was like three feet big, like tall. Yeah. I sprayed Bill inadvertently our guitarist right in the fucking face. It was like a mace with Lysol, and then he was just coughing. He was like hack. It was brutal, but um, you know, but I never got COVID from what I. The only time I think I got it was honestly after I'd been like triple vaxxed. I had a really uncomfortable. I had a really uncomfortable few days, and then by the time I was like, all right, this might be COVID, I tested for uh, I. It took a test and I came back negative, but I just felt, it just felt like how people described it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's the thing though. Like it does come out negative. So good old COVID. I was actually at Alarmist when it it got announced on fucking really? St. Patrick's weekend. I was sitting there was and I was like, weekend. yep. Yep. I was like, huh. Day one. I was like, LOL. Right. Two weeks later, we should be fine. Was what everyone was saying that it was going to be. And then same, like, after two weeks, I'm, like, at work, ma masked up. And I was like, shit's not going away now, is it? We got it at work. Mind you, everyone was math. Everyone did everything they were supposed to do. Everyone still got sick. My first COVID test that I took came back negative, but I had all of, like, the worst of the worst symptoms that everybody else was having. And they basically told me, they're like, hey, so, like, we can't really release this information because it's a medical privacy thing, but I don't think your test is negative. You should go check again. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. So I go back. I'm down for like two months. It put me down bad. And then like I come back and I was like, yeah, I think it's time for me to go somewhere. Hilarious. <laughs> like, let's take me out of it. But same it was just it happened so quickly and I feel like for me as an out well somewhat of an outsider right because like I do the podcast and everything and I go to shows sure. watching everything shut down was one of the saddest shit I've ever seen for the city of Chicago because like while Chicago is a very big metropolitan city what I feel like a, a lot of people miss out on is the fact that Chicago is very industry-based and a lot of it is very mom-and-pop shop owned and watching the shutdowns that happened across the board, I was like, oh my God, this is this is a thing and it's happening. Really but sad. I definitely do think that like after once the city reopened, I'm not gonna lie to you, I think we opened kind of early. I think uh there were a lot of bands that suffered because of that early opening. 
But throughout that transition, like I know you guys are now a three piece and all of that. And you did release an album in 2020, which I have listened to. And I love it personally. Uh, (laughs) No problem. But what is like one of the things when you guys are creating, because you said like it's easier to be a democracy, the smaller the band is. And I feel like that is very true, like across all artistic industries like the more people that more people that got their hands in the fucking kitchen the more issues you're gonna have right what is like the creative process that you guys get into in order to create an album especially when it is like that you guys are having a difficult outside environment like covid sure and people could say that it influenced them when they were writing their right now here's what's happening in media all right Mm -hmm. you're seeing that everyone, what I consider, you know, it's funny, my, my friend's wife, who's in theater, her name's Jessica, she's summed it up perfectly. She said, you're seeing everyone's COVID projects come out now. All right. And if you know that, when you see, she said it in, I thought it was a brilliant comment. She said it in response to, she saw the new Wes Anderson film, um, what the fuck's it called? Uh, Asteroid City. And I think she picked up on something in the film when she was watching with her husband, my friend, Mike, and they said like, this is a film that was, you could tell was written during COVID, whatever that means. And with us, I will say this, there was an element of that in the studio, but if anything, it was, I don't think it helped us. I think it just added to an obstacle because this is the main reason. We're a band that gets reassurance that we're doing something good from our live shows. We don't take, we don't ever take breaks from doing it. And as soon as the COVID bands lifted, we were playing gigs. Our first gig back was actually at the show or the place we're doing our record release show, Empty Bottle. I want to say it was the night before Thanksgiving, right when the world, I think shows started happening around late September. And then by Thanksgiving, um, we were playing. All right. But we kind of were the only the only people that were there to analyze whether or not we were jam what we were jamming on was good was us and we're we're like uh is this cool whatever and it added to an over analytical element that i think paid dividends but it's ironic how we got there which was through probably a sense of insecurity because again we weren't playing live shows we weren't able to test songs that we were writing live at all and no one heard our shit the only time that people started to hear it was when we fed our guitarist pete grossman is still the guy who engineers all our records so when we started feeding him demos that we recorded i think he gave his two cents and it was very positive so like we might we might have been onto something a little bit so again it kind of just was awkward it was awkward that's the best way i could describe it and we knew we were going to get to a higher uh level with this this third record because we're just a not a better band because we honestly we've always been i think this talented it's just that we know what works and what doesn't so because of that we know where to we know how to color with inside our lines if that is we know what our lines are at this point and also the fact that every time it seemed like we were getting a groove with something there was this shit that would become pseudo distractionary which it would be we definitely for example had confirmed about two shows when the city was going well with the trends were going down all that stuff Mm -hmm. they got canceled because 
there spikes would occur. So you feel like you had your heart cut out when we when you are writing constantly, and then someone says, some venue emails us. That's a good venue. It says, "Hey, it looks like this COVID shit's calming down." And I think the first or second vaxes were going around. The first vaxes were definitely there. And mm -hmm. then they go, "Would you guys want to play a show?" And we go, "Fuck yes, we would mm -hmm. love to play a show." So we stop everything. We stop writing. This happened twice. We stopped writing. And we start jamming on our old stuff to get whooped with that. You know, just get used yeah. to it because we're going to be playing a gig soon and we don't want to look like idiots. Yeah. We jam for probably about two and a half, three weeks. And they say, hey, guess what? That show we were going to get rolling ain't happening. Sp there was a spike, blah, blah, blah. That happened twice. So there goes essentially a month plus of time that we should have been writing and focusing on that. That just got, you know, thrown out the window because we were jamming on our old shit. But then by the time it was actually coming around and we played that show night before Thanksgiving, we, we said to ourselves about early November, we're like, this is probably going to, this show is probably going to happen. <laughs> and it was great because people got super stoked for it. And what's great about a venue like Empty Bottle where that show was, is people masked up. So even though it was a little awkward with a bunch of people there that had to pull down masks in order to have drinks, that was the time back then. It sounds so, it sounds so weird and it feels yeah. so weird to say, but like we were doing that and mm -hmm. these girls were there that had like, um, like zippers on their masks that were like, you know, it was designer style masks and they would open them and then sip the beer and then close it. It was cute, you know? Yeah. And it was just funny to look back and that was what the time was. I definitely remember, it's funny because you mentioned the first, uh, when COVID first hit, we, if you remember this properly, unless you had a mask, they were hard to find. You couldn't even find a fucking mask. Yeah. And then yeah. people were like tying scarves around their face. I was rocking a bandana for a while. You could not find a mask anywhere. I had to. I have a friend. Some of my close friends know this. I have a friend who's like, uh, he's probably, he's in a, he's a, he's a, he's a gang member. He's an Assyrian gang member. Jeez. <laughs> I texted him during COVID. And I just go, this guy knows where to find shit. And I go, hey, man. Do you know I could find it, what was called an N95 mask, which was like yeah. the one with the fucking filter on with it. With the shit. fucking filter on it, yeah. Text me like 10 minutes later, he goes, Oh yeah, dude, I got you. And I was like, What? And then he goes, Yeah, like come by here. And he's like, it's like 50 bucks. Because and I go, all right. And I go and pick up this mask from this dude. And it's like a fucking gas mask from hell. And I rocked that for I rocked it till I broke it. I was like the first wave of COVID. I was wrapping my face up in it and just walking around my own house and shit. Um, yeah. But he hooked me up. And then finally, everyone started getting savvy with masks. A lot of people, a lot of um, some girls I know killed it by making them and posting them on Etsy. It was mm -hmm. awesome. Like, and then eventually everyone got masks and then people started um, getting elaborate masks and stuff. And, you know, I, I had a kiss mask at one point and I was very proud of that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the initial question was other than it was, it was super awkward. And that was fucking hilarious. No, that was a beautiful tangent. So <laughs> as far as like masks go, yeah, I had a friend at the time. She designed dresses now and all this stuff, but she was making masks. So I would go and buy a bunch. And like where I was working at, the customers loved it because like I'd had fucking Harry Potter ones. I had Pokemon ones. I had like yeah, a random, awesome. yeah, real elaborate ones. And then they were like, we need to make uniform masks. And then when we switched the masks to like one of the companies, it that's when everyone got sick. And I was like, see, when we had my masks, this wasn't a problem. <laughs> Remember, that's amazing. 
You remember when we were, did, I don't know if you experienced this. Did you remember when people were microwaving their mail? Yeah, I, I didn't personally see it, but I was like, why are we doing this? All right, so there were people, all right, people, the first thing was this, which is everyone bought toilet paper. Yes, they hoarded couldn't find, it. Couldn't find toilet paper in the fucking stores, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, oh, dude, it's hard to go back sometimes. Toilet paper. Um, the second thing was fucking people were microwaving mail. The Lysol wipes were limited, as was the uh, the rubbing alcohol. You could only get like a tiny little bottle. Fucking hand sanitizer was gone to the point that beauty salons were making hand sanitizer. It was, um, I was walking around with, with hand, this was the worst thing ever. Don't try this at home, kids. I was walking around with hand soap and um, like rubbing it in my skin as hand sanitizer. That eventually burned if you don't wash it off. So it was like burning. It was making my hands fucking raw. Oh and my God. it was, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. And it was all necessary, I guess. But I remember that. I remember um, people, my neighbors were um, leaving their mail on their porches or their, their back steps for like days. Like, so they would get the mail, like they get a package from someone and then yeah. leave it outside to kill the germs. I don't know what was going on, but it was a fucking nightmare, man. And, um, it was fueled by every now and then when you would go out to like get food or something to be, there'd be one motherfucker out there that just wouldn't care. And he'd be like, I don't, you know, whatever. And it's just like, oh, he's ruining it for everyone. It was always a dude as well. It was uh, pretty fucking insane. And then once you got the hang of it, you know, never, never again. Like, I mean, I really hope that doesn't happen for side again, but everyone, when we snap into it uh, again, if there's ever anything that's like an air, um, that's the thing too, which is I don't think it ever technically went like airborne. It was more like you know physical contact, like you know mm -hmm. uh, everyone just like. <laughs> there's two things that everyone all uh, everyone who was a nurse or a doctor or knew someone said, "Hey man, the two things you gotta you're gonna you'll see two things are gonna happen. One, it's gonna go airborne, which basically means like say you and I are fucking twelve feet away from each other, it's gonna come out of my mouth and attack you from twelve feet away. Right. Secondly, they go co a pet. This isn't even funny. Pets are going to get COVID and they're going to, they're not going to have a way to combat it. And they're just going to start dropping dead. And I don't think, right. I don't think any pets died of COVID, but. Um, they did maybe. actually, I think there was like a cat or some shit in like New York. I don't know. I promise you I saw some. One last cat in the world. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm allergic to cats. He's a dog lover, y'all. Yeah. He's a dog lover, but. <laughs> no really like I do know there were a lot of places in the city that were getting shut down because they were just not giving a fuck yeah. and I was like come on y'all like I get it not really I like being alive <laughs> I know it. it's hard for people who there's you know there's two types of people especially in similar ages that we are there are people that are whatever outroverts and introverts i guess i don't know i don't know how to describe it but it's like there's people who are copacetic with chilling inside the house and kind of <laughs> kind of can take relief going out and there's people who, who are quite the opposite and i would oh i've always been quite the opposite i like going out i like experiencing this city that we live in and has so much to offer if that means anything you know it's just i'm going out all the time i love seeing shows i love going to bars with friends i love going to see um movies all it was taken away from us like that i love going out to eat and I distinctly remember I was out with a friend and he and I were at the fucking bar of a, so my band show where they announced COVID was on Thursday, but they really hadn't closed down the city until like the day after St. Patrick's day, I think, mm -hmm. or the day, yeah. day after St. Patrick's day, which is that Saturday. 
And um, they announced that come Monday, the city's going on what they referred to as lockdown, which was, you know, everyone's like, are they going to make us stay in their house, our houses, and then they're going to shoot us if we go outside? People were really confused. It's like, no, you can still go outside, you fucking idiot. I mean, like, what are you yeah. talking about? But we were at a place and the uh, we were sitting at the bar and the, the bartender slash waitress got news of it. And she ended up doing, she must've been a person who, and I'm not, I'm not, I would never make fun of this scenario because I've been there a bunch, but like she was kind of relying on this coming week to like make money. And then she just started bawling her eyes out at the bar. She's like, I can't believe you have definitely blah, blah, blah. And then me and that dude just started fucking laying money on her. We're like, here, take this cash. Just leave us alone. <laughs> and she, poor girl. And then also I got to give props to anyone right now who went out to uh to who like ate out during covid like went and picked up shit because mm -hmm. and then the key is this tipped like mm -hmm. if you fucking tipped you're a hero man because you are such or or ladies gentlemen whoever i'm speaking to right now you're a fucking such a hero for doing that because you really saw what it was about because so mm -hmm. many people said in the service industry whatever you want to call it yeah they're people are taking out but they're not they're just buying the thing and fucking leaving because they're like i'm not sitting down doing this whole fucking activity mm -hmm. and um that was really a shame when you heard post that you know yeah um you know i i, I ate out a lot i uh you know i got back to basics a lot i remember fuck i was at a, a few bonfires like i can't even i can't believe i'm saying this to you right now where it was like <laughs> some dude had the idea to light a fire in like a fucking pit in his backyard and we sat around it and talked like yeah what a right and yeah honestly so to like high school that it was unreal and there's really nothing you could do other than drink a beer in a socially distanced fashion uh maybe smoke some shit talk some shit and then pick up and go home and that's mm -hmm. it and mm -hmm. maybe hacky sack you know which is also a high school it was really yeah. it was just super, super interesting you know the funniest part, though, uh, was uh, I had a lot of friends that came in real hot with me that they wanted to get back into music. And uh, I'm kind of a dude. I know nothing about music other than this, which is if I get out of the mix with doing it, my talent's going to go bye-bye. And I can't do it. It's almost like you see that when Charles Barkley left the NBA, he gained like 100 pounds. Like mm -hmm. that, I'm not like I'm not saying like I. It would be like all my talent would be gone. So like mm -hmm. I have not stopped playing in a band since I was fucking 15, and I'm in my late 30s now. But when it comes down to it, it's something that I never stopped. So when some dude comes to me and goes, "Yeah, I want to pick up that guitar again," I go, "Dude, I don't even know where to where to begin. I, I I've never stopped. Like I, it's it's you got a long way to go, dude. From mm -hmm. playing those Nirvana covers to like want to get back into it 20 years later, but." You know, people are just trying, trying to stay, you know, you know, occupied. And I got that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's for sure. I feel like that's one of the big waves that hit during COVID was everyone's like artistry kind of came out because if someone wasn't like painting again, they were picking up music, they were like doing shit on TikTok, making mini films, playing covers, doing like all this creative shit, which honestly, yeah. I personally love. I was like, yes fuck the system, everyone go make art, right? That aspect of it, I was all for. Uh, but- I, lo I love art so much. Art is so cathartic. Like if you're, if anyone's out there who makes art, it is an experience or writes, like anything like that is just, 
I remember distinctly, I wrote a lot of lyrics for this record, which you would think on this LP, there's a lot of dark lyric lyrics because, you know, it's during COVID and we're in a metal band. Well, not really, just kind of came out, but I would just sit and write. And then I would start somewhere and I would end up somewhere else when I would write this shit. But it was just, and a lot of it was nonsense. I distinctly remember one of the dudes I hung out with was my friend, Nate. I kind of made a makeshift bar. Nate lives in a in the suburb I live in, which is Evanston. And he was very uh, on the level when it came to COVID. He was, he was so, so, so cautious. So when he would come over to my home, he would do it right. He would stay super far away from me, masked up. And, but we would talk and we had good times here. And I made a, my uh, second bedroom into like a makeshift bar. Like I put a lot of time into it. And cause I had nothing fucking going on. But ultimately what happened was I remember distinctly one day he came over and he was looking at my like lyric book and he goes, Oh, you're writing songs. I go, I don't know what I'm writing. I'm just writing, you know, it's just going. Yeah. And then he's like, this seems all over the fucking place. I go, it kind of is it's just kind of getting out there, you know? So it was, yeah. it was cool. It was, it was, it was an interesting time that I, I mean, I won't forget, uh, but you know, it was the best of times. And it was, it was definitely the worst of times as they once wrote in that fucking amazing book. Honestly, yeah. And a lot of people started to read again during COVID, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. Reading is fundamental. Um, Pay attention, uh, kids. Yeah. <laughs> reading is, dude, if you don't, if you're listening, listen, if you're listening, you don't read, please read because like it just mm-hmm. is such an awesome experience and it's validating and you can get lost in it. You could do all your fun activities with it. You could, smoke weed you smoke a cigarette whatever drink you know whatever. you could do all this shit you could be outside you could be at the beach you know mm-hmm. and you could actually multitask with it which you could listen to uh music while reading you know i do that too and sometimes you don't sometimes you get fucking um i think the the main thing that people get wrapped up in negatively when it comes to reading i figured the fuck out which is people hate the idea of jumping into like say a 400 page book and then 100 pages in be like i hate this i don't like this book at all now where do you go mm-hmm. And that is a shitty feeling when you're like, I mm-hmm. thought I was going to like this book and I got 300 more pages, but I'm already, I'm past the point of no return. I'm already hundred pages deep. Skip around a little bit. You could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, digest a little more, skip, you know, get the gist of it, you know, and then mm-hmm. maybe put it down. Yeah. Especially cause like it takes some time getting to know what it is you actually like to read and like what yeah. is just not it. And I feel like, especially with social media being so all-encompassing with everything all the time now and tech just being what it is uh people don't like reading to some degree is what I've noticed or they just like feel like they don't have the level of concentration to do it yeah and there's like i this one creator on TikTok, she did a PDF about like some shit, but basically she made it structured. She's like, for everyone that's neuro spicy and you feel like you can't focus, this will literally help you focus because she changed like the lighting background on it and it does like okay. a automatic thing to it or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I was like, there's definitely more ways now to read than just like sitting there. And like you said, skipping around, like reading the synopsis, read a summary of it look at somebody like review it or some shit because there are some books that like are very heavy in a lot of the words that they use that it's like it's not for everybody but talking about like art and how things intertwine so one of your songs is in a movie it is. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted you want to tell uh, us a bit about that sure. 
It's called Crusades, and it is a film that I would call it a dramedy, which is almost like it's such a fucking gem of a show. But it reminds me a lot of like how Boy Meets World was, if anyone watched that show. Mm-hmm. Boy Meets yeah. World was a show in the 90s that actually has such a fucking loyal fan base still that they do a podcast called Pod Meets World, and they're com- they're going on tour now. Like, they're coming to Milwaukee, like, next week and shit. And good for them. But you see that some of these 90s shows have such legs post, like, 20 years later, you know? But that's what it kind of reminds me of, which is, like, hilarious um, and, you know, but also, like, teen drama-esque. But it was um, directed by uh, my cousin. Uh, And what happened was he reached out very early on in the process and he goes, I think he particularly said to me, I have this scene. He's he's a fan of the band. Um, I have this scene where these dudes are going to be um, working out in a garage. And I think that it would be great for, like, your song to be in it. And obviously, um, I said, hell yeah, use it. Fast forward about a year after we initially agreed to it. He was, he's like, I got a bunch of big people in this movie. And I was like, shit. Now, I didn't, being from a different generation, I didn't know these actors he was casting, but they're all like hot, like hot fucking younger actors right now. This guy named, the lead role is played by a guy named Rudy Pankow, who's from this show, which I hadn't heard of, called Outer Banks. And apparently it's like a very popular show. And I'm just like, yeah, it is. Um, Cool. I mean, like, and you're, you're a fan or you know it. And that's amazing. So what happened was it was a great casting and then he ended up getting um, what is called like a limited release, which is very, you know, very common now, which is they put it in like various markets around the United States. I definitely saw it in a theater in Chicago. I had several friends who did as well. And it was released on Amazon Prime and Paramount streaming or Paramount Plus. But yeah, so our song was in it and it was Fucking great. It was great to see. I literally saw our song on the big screen and good, good for him. Cheers for him. Like he had a vision. He went for it. He did a lot of work too during COVID as well. I definitely know that those kids um, shot the film during COVID, mm-hmm. which uh, shout props to my cousin, man, real big props to him because he had to deal with what's called SAG screen actors guild. If mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sure you know, if, like if anyone, didn't, yeah, they required so much shit during COVID. If you were going to film during COVID, you had to like metaphorically jump through all the hoops mm-hmm. because and like SAG proctors, like on site or near where if you fucked off, they would shut down production. Mm-hmm. So all these hoops he had to jump through and I knew what they were. And I only got the broad strokes of it, like massive props to him and massive props to all those kids who filmed during that because it must yeah. be a fucking nightmare compared to what it's like filming now. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was um, it was during Baxes had already been out, but even still, even yeah. still, yeah, no, yeah, filming productions were definitely going through the fucking ringer, and oh, then yeah. like there's a SAG strike still. I think they were supposed to already have a decision, but I don't think they've like got into one yet. Last right now, I heard, oh my god, I I weep for anyone who is in um the industry of writing for shows. I just, mm-hmm. it used to be so, I think what ultimately happened was this, which is, I don't know, I've never, here's the thing, like, anyone who knows our band, 
we've never tried to make money from our art, which has always been actually our saving grace. We do go to different towns and we do make good money. We make good money, money from the door. We make good money selling merch. We sell merch online. We sell records. We play local gigs. We make money. But ultimately, we don't care. I mean, like, don't like, don't take here. Like, if ever a promoter's heard that, don't take that the wrong way. We <laughs> but at the same time, we work to support our music habits. Like, we're not trying to make a um a living from this. We're just trying to keep our um. When we go on the road. There are expenses, which is van related, particularly, which we, we mm-hmm. do own a van, and we have to uh, gas that up, and it's very um expensive. But when it comes down to it, we um if you're in like the writing the writers guild or whatever the fuck, mm-hmm. and you're writing for what would be like the equivalent of like fucking Nash Bridges or whatever, they're yeah. gonna say you have to do it for this amount of money, or we're gonna go to the next person. You know, it's like fucking there's mm-hmm. no loyalty to you, we don't need you. What ultimately killed this was um when Back in the day, like the 80s and 90s and shit, if there was like a show, Sopranos is a really good example, There, which is actually late 90s, early 2000s. But uh, but Seinfeld's also good, which is the original Seinfeld shows were written by like Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld for the extreme most part. All right. Mm-hmm. Because they had the exact tone, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And they knew exactly what they wanted to put across. Nowadays, mm-hmm. like right off the bat, there's a show created. And then they are doing writing by committee where it's like, all right, we have nine writers for the show, the bear, the bear is mm-hmm. a great show, but so I've heard, but if there's nine writers, okay, then some people might be expendable or there's not enough cash to go around or we're all, we're all cutting off this grape, you know, cause mm-hmm. already right now due to the fact that I think writing probably meant something back in the day when, if you wanted to be a writer for like Hollywood, before computers and internet and things like this, Zoom around right now got really savvy. You had to go to fucking Hollywood to do it. Now it's like, hey, we could contact this dude from wherever the fuck. He lives in England. And like, we could have a Zoom with them. We could have a meet, a writer's meeting with them, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We're spitballing. We're doing this whole thing. And now writers that are, have become expendable because of that in a, in a, mm-hmm. in a weird way. So yeah, I think they're fucked ultimately. I don't know what's going to happen with... And then the other side of it too is people through Netflix and um, the way we uh, consume, watch, uh, consume mm-hmm. movies and, and shows now, there's mm-hmm. no money made from it. So like if there's like a Hollywood blockbuster, it's like, oh yeah, we t- it took nine people to write, but it's like it cleaned up the box office, different fucking story. But now it's mm-hmm. like this show had millions of viewers and no one has money. You know, mm-hmm. that's and it sucks. I, I don't want to say it's a dying industry because if TV went away and movies went away, we'd all be really depressed. Oh, God, we'd be so miserable. Yeah, it would be fucking horrible. But you actually said something interesting, which is people I see when I'm I knew this before COVID, which was I was in a movie theater with. Seeing uh, it. Remember the movie? <laughs> I wish it was the original one with with uh, Tim Curry, but. It the remake of it, but it was it part two, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in this movie theater, and it's a packed house, and it was the wrong showing to go to. It was like the one with all the kids that were like ten years younger than me. Yeah, that just were all trying to get out of the house. And this one guy kept that was probably like 
fucking 20, kept texting his mom during it. And his screen was so obnoxious that it would light up every time. And then you hear a buzz, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I remember saying to myself, wow, this guy really doesn't give a fuck about what's happening on the screen at all. And mm-hmm. it was way different when we were 14 going to movie theaters and everyone was like vested in it. Now, mm-hmm. every now and then we walk around in a movie theater too, you know, but mm-hmm. we were very much vested in those films. And this guy's just texting his mom during it. And it was just chit chat. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, my line to him, I turned to him. And I, rem- I remember saying, like, I made eye contact with him right next to me. And I go, you know, this was based on a true story. And then he was so, <laughs> you know, and then he was confused. Because the clown had just murdered like, someone. The clown had <laughs> just hate his face, you know. So, it was funny. But I, I, I see that kid's attention span. You mentioned TikTok. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get it. It's, it's very, uh, you know, fast foody for that shit. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, we want it right now. We want it right now. That maybe TV shows will be modified soon. To the point where mm-hmm. they're not going to be long-form TV shows anymore. They're going to be like acquired tastes, you know. Yeah, I still, I still like long-form TV a lot. Yeah, no, honestly, and that's and that's one of the things that like because like I'm on all the fucking social medias because today's day and age, you kind of have to be right. You have and, to be aware of them. Yeah, you know. And one of the like issues because when I do on like YouTube and shit or on here on Spotify. It's very like it's long form. It's whoever is listening is like someone that's actually invested in whatever the fuck it is that I'm putting out, whatever I'm making, whoever I'm interviewing, things like that. So it's people that are going to pay attention to it. And then you'll get like the new listeners because they'll be like, oh, wait, I heard from so and so and like very word of mouth versus like TikTok. You have five seconds to grab somebody's attention with your intro. If you don't, they're scrolling past your shit. And with that, it's like longer form content. Like one of the issues that I've seen and like read a bunch of shit about Netflix, at least, is that writers that write for their shows, it's a hit or miss because Netflix gets very cancel happy. There's been so many shows that they cancel after like two fucking seasons. So like then what happens to those contracts? What happens to those payments? And then even the process of like a streaming service itself, like I think the from the fucking what was that show squid games like mm-hmm. the original guy that like had the whole idea wrote everything got swindled essentially is what happened yeah. so much fucking money and it's like okay so why are we not paying why are we just not paying people like i don't i don't get it yeah uh, but it's it's definitely the entertainment industry in itself is just a fucking behemoth there's so many moving parts and I really hope, you know, that movies and shows don't go away. That would really fucking suck. But also it's like, where would we be without writers? Because writers are involved in every form of production, whether it is music production, movies, music videos, even fucking lyricism, books, like a lot of things that are being adapted now are taken from books themselves. And then you have writers coming in and like adjusting it for a show and things of that nature. So it's like, I don't know. They, they just, they got to pay people. They got to pay people. And then it sucks because we're having the same problem. When I say we, I mean like the music industry is having the same Mm -hmm. problem with getting people to listen to a record start to finish. Mm -hmm. I don't care how big a band you are. You'll see that big bands are now doing the whole we're releasing a single thing they're Mm -hmm. doing that because they don't want to get a good song ignored back in the day you would get your hands on a record from a great band or even a band that you just wanted to give a shot to and you would find gems in 
track five, six. If you listen to our record, which is out, it's called Absolutely Something is Waiting. But and if for anyone out there, that's the one that just is coming out right now. But our record's very well rounded. And I think all the record is this record's consistent start to finish. And we're only asking for, we're not asking for any, anything, actually. If you don't want to listen to it, then don't. But, like, if you're really ready to listen to our LP, we're going to take up a whopping 30 minutes of your time, which is a drive from here to a grocery store and fucking back. You get mm-hmm. the whole thing. All right? But what people do is just say, I just want the single. And y'all want a single say, fuck that. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> but we are... Still in long form when it comes to records, but there have been conversations in our band where we said, you never know. If it gets to the point where we're trying to beat a record into someone, it's like we might just release singles and then put it out there. You're not going to get a physical copy like the LPs go, mm-hmm. and people will have to deal with that, and we'll see. But Example is this, which is we just dropped our first track, which is very common, which is we dropped our first track from our records like a teaser. And we have one coming out this week, and it'll already be out when by the time this uh, podcast airs. But mm-hmm. those get a lot of hype behind them because everyone's like, one thing, I will listen now. And they listen, and they're like, that's the shit. What mm-hmm. it's ultimately trying to do, though, or it's meant to do, is pique your interest to, to uh, listen to the whole LP. Mm-hmm. And again... It might be changing soon. You see a band, fuck, man, I'm the biggest Guns N' Roses fan ever. Guns N' Roses got back together with, like, their traditional-ish lineup with Axl Rose slash Duff McKagan, and they've released two singles since getting back together at this point seven years ago. I don't even know when they got ten years ago. Mm-hmm. We're talking about two fucking singles from an amazing band that could have all the studio time yeah. in the world, but they realize that it may go on deaf ears. You know? So that that yeah. is what it is. And you bring up a really good point. So like Beyonce just had a fucking show in the city of Chicago, right? And it was packed and all these people came. But and I've talked about this on like a previous episode of Pop Culture with a different uh, band member. But we discussed longer form content. And as far as like music comes and I was like, yeah, it was like even people like fucking Beyonce who just released this like big ass album has spoken about how nowadays people just want a quick fix they want a quick hit and once that happens it's like oh well shit on the rest of the album she's like that's why when people are like oh when's the new music coming out she's like it'll come out when it comes out and she's like and some people have the luxury of doing that where they can build up so much time in between that people will go and listen. And then she's like, and a lot of times artists don't have that luxury. She's like, because it's either, you know, attention span of the people that are listening or like record labels on their houses or whatever it is. And I was sitting there and I was like, yeah, she sells out stadiums and everything. And she still only has like, I don't know, like maybe seven studio albums in her entire career. And the woman's been active since like the nineties. And it's one of those things where like with Guns N' Roses, like they don't have a plethora of like studio albums either, you know? only have about four. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of those things where it's like, if we're putting this out, is it going to be received? Are people going to listen? Or is it going to be like, okay, cool. I listened to two, three songs. I'm done. Type right. of thing. Now, check this out, which is comparison. Metallica came out with a new record six mm-hmm. months ago. And um, I've had comparatively back in the day, 
and I'm whispering for dramatic effect, when a new Metallica record would come out, anyone who fucked with heavy metal in the least bit would have conversation after fucking conversation about that LP when it came out. Analyzing it backwards and forward, there was a a record that everyone shits on is a, a record by Metallica called Saint Anger. <laughs> and the amount of conversations that occurred in my life about that record when it came out five years after it, blah, 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 it was immense. And it still happened to this day. But nowadays, it's so, uh, again, junk foodie, as we said it before. <laughs> I've had maybe one conversation with uh, a person about the new Metallica record, and their response was, yeah, it's rad. And I go, mm-hmm. okay, no one else has brought it up to me. Like, one of my that's it? We worked out with it recently. I go, okay. But that, was, that wasn't recently. That was months ago. That was, And it's just, it sucks because and that record from Metallica, if memory serves, is like a long one, many mm-hmm. tracks. And it's just like, just went over people's heads or everyone's like, yeah, yeah. we have our Metallica records we need. And mm-hmm. they heard it. And it was really, I thought the songs were really good. But again, it's just uh, unfortunate. I got to give props to anyone who buys our hard LPs because mm-hmm. if you spend 20 bucks, you buy an LP. Thank you, first of all. Second of all, you're a fucking badass. Third of all, um, you're the reason we had this record during COVID, all right? It was insanely hard to, coming off the heels of it, to press vinyl for a couple of reasons. And I brought this up recently in a podcast, the other podcast I did, but you had artists like Taylor Swift or um, maybe even a Beyonce or an Adele decide that they want to start pressing vinyl and they would bombard these vinyl plants. And there aren't many of them in the United States and said, we need 50,000 copies of this one record, which is going to be a life changing experience for that vinyl plant because they're going to get so much money from it. Mm-hmm. And they know, they know coming from Taylor Swift that the check's going to clear. All right. So all these labor of love bands that love vinyl did a DIY style like us from years got backburnered. Also, congruently, you're experiencing a lack of the supply chain of like what's called lacquer because mm-hmm. lacquer wasn't being made properly, just like anything wasn't getting made properly. T-shirts were hard to get a hold of during COVID. Everything, yeah. like everything that's like a material fucking thing was hard to get a hold of. The mm-hmm. prices skyrocketed. Uh, paper towels got like twice the price or you know, yeah. everything. Everything. So, no one was making lacquer. And because of that, our record came out essentially, our record has been done for like a year. It's just that it, we waited until the vinyls were ready in order to release the record because mm-hmm. we didn't want to shit on our core fan base that really cares about vinyl. And then we, we didn't want to try to, God bless any band that did this. I'm not ripping on them, but there was a lot of bands that sold vinyls and then would deliver those vinyls like 10 months later. Mm-hmm. Make, you know, And then, you know, that's cool. And I, I understood where they were coming from, but I just wanted, we, and we all agreed on the band agreed that we were going to put out an LP and when the vinyl was ready, we were going to essentially start selling them. You know, like mm-hmm. we didn't want our fans to wait that long for getting the tangible product. So we yeah. lost a little bit of time with that, but we don't care. I mean, we have a big year ahead of us. It's just that that's where it all was with the whole, um, it might really, it might really, really be going to, we might be in the, in the fourth quarter with the whole long form thing, because it's just, again, if a band like Metallica isn't getting talked about when they're putting out long form records, I don't know. It might not yeah. be the best thing for bands to not waste their time, but like if they really, there's so many songs 
see, when I used to listen to records back in the day and I would find hidden gems, I would, they'd mean something more to me than the hits because I, I had to dig for that. Nowadays, mm-hmm. no one gives a fuck. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, like, uh, I'm not going to find it because I'm not going to dig that deep. And also, uh, if it's not pushed to me as like a single, I think it's not worth listening to. You know, it's like that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. best thing really is if, if a Beyonce has an eight song LP is to release singles every fucking two months and then everyone just absorbs it for two months. It's like almost like episodes of a TV show. Mm-hmm. You know? That's a season of a TV show, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, honestly, because like I have this one friend also in a band here in Chicago, Levin Bits. He's a great musician and we exchange music back and forth. And he's the one person that like, I'll go in deep when we like talk about music. He's like, okay, what'd you think? And like, we'll break it down per song. And like, we'll talk about the artists and like really get into detail about it of like, oh, they transformed in this way. Or like, they kind of went back to this old shit they used to do and like all this stuff. And I remember talking to one of my other friends about it. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I feel like, I don't know if it's a generational thing because we grew up in the nineties and we had to wait for fucking music to come out. Cause otherwise like before, you know, the internet before LimeWire was a thing and you could just burn music onto a CD or like put it on a fucking iPod. You were watching MTV, you were listening to the radio. Like it was harder. You were going to record shops. So it was harder to like, easily access music and then like there wasn't a like streaming service really and then like youtube is brand fucking new as well so there's so many things where i'm like i don't know if it's a generational thing i really hope it's not i hope like how as many people are discovering music via like social media now it'll push people to be like okay let me start digging into music a little better i hope we make it a turn into that area but the fact that like a lot of artists that are coming out, like this one artist that I listened to, Saint Levant, amazing artist, but he does the same thing where he's like busting out singles every like like yeah. you said, it feels like every two months. So like people are like, oh damn, here's another single before they drop like a longer form album. So I don't know if that's gonna be the route that it takes as well, where it's like here's a bunch of singles and then it's like you got four songs that weren't dropped and it's it that's the album and there you go and that's how they get people to listen so we'll see how how that develops but how did you get into music to begin with i know that's a basic question to ask but it's actually a great question is when it pertains to me because Woo! what an interview so far oh my lovely hummingbirds First and foremost, special shout out again to Mr. Gobo for partaking in today's episode of Pop Culture Interviews. And no, the episode is not done yet, but, you know, I had to take a little pause there to build up the dramatic suspense for the second half of today's episode, but also for us to take a quick commercial break. Hi, my lovely hummingbirds! Have you ever wondered what the universe has in store for you, or... Just wanted your cards read for some shits and giggles? Well, look no further than I, your lovely host, Monroe, for all things pop culture. Yep, that's right. I offer personalized tarot and oracle card readings via my Calendly. So, if you're inclined to get your very unpersonalized reading, whether it is money, love, or spicy things, feel free to do so by booking your very own personalized reading with all your lovely host Monroe via my Calendly at calendly.com forward slash L-A-V-P-B-L-L-L-C. Now, 
onto the rest of today's episode. Enjoy. In every sense, wrote my own book with doing uh, music and heavy music. All right. I didn't have an older, cooler, older brother. I didn't have a cooler, cooler, older cousin that introduced me to anything. I didn't have a neighbor. My parents liked mainstream pop music. I don't know what it was other than this is the best explanation I could give, which is I've always been attracted to. All right. I just drove past Great America today. All right. I've, I've been going to Great America. I haven't been there in a long time. I got banned for two years, actually, at one point. I tried to sneak in with my sister's pass because I didn't have one. This is, this is when I was old. I was like 30 years old. And uh, they put me in fake Great America jail and yeah. took like my uh, scan copy of my ID and a lawyer contacted me and was like, you're banned. Like it was, it was a fucking fiasco. Um, oh and then every, the lawyer wanted money. And then to great, great America had pain and suffering that I uh, bestowed upon them and they needed to get paid for it. And I just kept tearing up these notices and then eventually they went away. But <laughs> Um, I remember distinctly when I was a kid, could be five, six years old, we would go to Great America, be like sister and I, my parents, my cousins, and Great America was the place where when you were, it was summertime out, right? Mm -hmm. If you were like a cool, like adolescent or like a high school, early high school kid, that's where you wore your band t-shirt. You Mm -hmm. had to show everyone I was the cool kid, like whatever. And I remember at a very early age, five, six years old, I was attracted to the visual of it. I was like, wow, that shirt's cool. I really like that. Yeah. And I was never I was never an overt Halloween kid. I was more of a mm-hmm. Christmas kid than anything. I just knew I was attracted to that. And then mm-hmm. finally, when I got my hands on what that media was, alternative forms of media, I never looked fucking back. I heard bands, which would be like the first wave of nineties alternative, like bands like Nirvana fell in love with them. Mm-hmm. And it made me, it made it special because again, it was all, it was my journey. A hundred percent. I would go to like, I, you know, and then there were some kids in grade school that got it, but ultimately I didn't find my tribe of people that loved heavy music until I got to high school. But by that time I was a seasoned vet and I knew mm-hmm. everything about fucking heavy music. And I knew everything about Metallica, Pantera. I, um, the big bands were like Corn, obviously, and White Zombie, Rob Zombie, what have you. And by that, but by that time I had an arsenal, I had, I had all the magazines already. I'd already started fucking around in guitar and, yeah. but it was really the formation of it was all my journey. And it was like six to like 12 were such pivotal years for me. And again, I don't know how it happened. It's just, I was attracted to it. And then as soon as I got my hands on fucking any form of it, I fucking ate it up. I would watch MTV late, as late as a, a kid would could watch it when he's, you know, eight years old. I knew that as the night got later, the realer it got. It was, you would see a Metallica video or a Marilyn Manson video when it was like 9 p.m. I'm like, what would it be like a headbangers ball or this show called 120 minutes, as opposed to um, you would see what you would see at like 3 p.m., which would be like an episode of like Singled Out, if anyone remembers that show, which is hosted by Jenny McCarthy and Chris Hardwick, who are still monstrous deals, by the way. Jenny's never been out of work and Chris Hardwick uh, hosts The Walking Dead or whatever, the, the Talking Dead. 
But again, I was just always attracted to it. And then once I found that I liked it so much, it just fit me. And I, I have not looked back. I never, I never strayed once from it. And I just got deeper and fucking deeper into it. You mentioned the records, which was like when you would buy the fucking Boys to Men record when you were, and no diss to Boys to Men, but like uh, when you buy that record when you were growing up in the 90s, you would go to fucking any store, Walmart. I don't even know if Target mm-hmm. existed. Best Buy, all the shit. They all had copies of that in droves, all right? When you would find, like, try to find something heavier or harder, you had to dig. You had to fucking mm-hmm. go. And wherever you found it, you found it. There was a band, but it made an impression on you because there's a word that I always, and you don't get it anymore because you can't get it. Uh, the internet kind of killed it, and the way everything's fed to us now kind of killed it but there was a word that i use often with that time called um like romanticism uh an example would be um i talked about a record on the last podcast i did but um it's the first record by a band called down and down i had heard about them and i i heard a snippet or some shit and i was probably 13 when i heard the snippet and i was like geez that sounds so badass i can't wait to buy the record but you couldn't find the record anywhere because it was like a very limited release down is a super group that they didn't expect to have any legs and they barely played any shows and i looked for a handful of records religiously when i would go to these any any type of what would be cd stores back then and i was downtown once with my aunt around christmas time and uh, and her then husband. And then what happened was we were fucking, uh, fucking around in, um, like a, what would be like a Barnes and Noble. They had a CD section and I fucking found that record and I made her buy it for me. Um, I was probably 13 years old at the time, or I think I was just turning 14, just, just turned 14. But that CD was totally the one that got sent to the store that never got bought because the sticker on it had morphed into the fucking plastic. That means it had been sitting for a while. And also that record, when I hear it now is always, it always brings you back to like Christmas time. You know, it's that romanticism, which is like, Mm -hmm. you don't get that if you don't have the fucking struggle that came along with it. Where were you when you heard it that first time? If it was like, no one remembers where they heard fucking Backstreet Boys the first time because it was fucking everywhere. You know, it's just like, it was all the same day at the same time in the whole world, you know? And like, God bless Backstreet Boys that changed like anyone's life. I, my sister's very big fans, but like when you fucking heard shit and you're like, I fucking found it. You were at, you were out somewhere. You were with someone. It might've been a dangerous environment. It might've been a show one. You never fucking know. You might've been on vacation. You might, someone might've introduced it to you, you know? It's really fucking cool. It adds to the story. So that's how I got into music. And I think I took those interactions very seriously, which ended up fueling me to get into it more. And I just kept getting deeper and deeper down the fucking hole. And I still have to come out the hole. One day, I'll eventually I'll come out the other side of it. But, like, yeah, I mean, I'm still obsessed with music. You'll just loop back around. But <laughs> Yeah, right? What I love about how you mentioned that, when it comes to what can be considered alternative music, right? Because sure. alt music is, to some degree, not as in popular culture as it is. Like, I can't remember which fucking radio station here ended up getting bought out and they were just playing everything because they got bought out by like I think a Christian channel or some shit and it was one of the last like heavy metal rock stations in fucking Chicago which is insane yeah, it was, but that was 97.9 The Loop got bought out yes 
Yeah. And that's one of the things like I loved what they did with the fucking set list for that night. I was definitely tuning in and it was such I like it felt like an end of an era, if you get what I'm saying, yeah. because it's like it's one of those things like you mentioned finding the fucking CD at Barnes and Nobles and now Barnes and Nobles, it's like few and far in between. Like you gotta fucking find one. But I remember they would have the CD section and it was such a thing of like like you said it would romanticize the moment it would like make a core memory like it's something that you're never going to forget and nowadays with like while it's it can have its benefits especially like for artists starting out that like can't afford to go to shows and all this stuff and they just upload to a streaming service while it can have its benefits of like we are open to a giant repertoire of music now it also cuts down on some of like I feel like the personalization that you can have with it because it's just a random, uh, a thing on a random Tuesday versus like, oh, you know, like I heard it from this person or over here, like the way that I listen to music now, besides streaming services and like whatever pops up, I'm like, because I have to cover it here of like whatever's happening in the world, right? I'll go to shows and I'll go to local shows. And then that's when like, I'll find a band and I'm like, okay, cool. Like, or someone will tell me of a band and I'm like, okay, awesome. But I feel like that's one of the things that is very missing because one of the shows that like I've, or a few of the shows that I've actually been to recently, it's like, I just see a lot of people in our age range. It's, it's few and far in between where I see like the newer generation really going and exploring to that degree. And like I said, like when the radio station came down, like it really feels like we're at a turning point, right? Like it's the end of an era in the way that we listen to music, the way we consume media, the way we make art even. And it's like, I don't know if, while technology can help, I think it's definitely getting ahead of us and it's slightly getting the best of us when it comes to artistry. And I don't like that. I feel like it's one of those things where, as humans like you said there are introverts and there are extroverts but like I feel deep down within my soul everyone is an artist to some form everyone loves some form of art and that helps all of us like be very interactive with one another it helps with personalization and I think that we're kind of all losing it and everyone's kind of like molding into the same thing to some degree and I don't know I don't I don't like it I like when it's I don't know is it's just an opinion (laughs) oh no here's what I've personally experienced which is right now the market uh, for music is very saturated with um, bands that are doing reunion style shows or we're on a time where uh, it's essentially a victory lap for a generation we're going one more time around the sun and it's Mm -hmm. these bands that are dusting it off after 20 years or they're playing riot fest and they're doing an album start to finish eventually that person like if you're a danzig fan he's doing danzig one this year at riot fest eventually danzig is gonna die and Mm -hmm. that sucks because he's amazing but he's not fucking almighty you know like and he is i've seen danzig a bunch and i will miss him when he dies but like i'm glad to say that i've seen him so much and you know if you're a misfits fan he's running the misfits now as well but Mm -hmm. It's time for everyone to just jump in and get in that mix. But eventually, which is sad, the dust will settle. And then what happens when the dust does settle? And these people, again, it's going to start with people starting to die off, which is a fucking mm-hmm. fact, fact of life. These people are just getting older and older. I'm a huge Aerosmith fan, but Aerosmith is on their last tour. Um, they just started or they're about to start it, and I will be there checking it out. 
Kiss, mm-hmm. huge fan of them as well. They are going away. So these 70s rock bands that were staples, they're going bye-bye. And then it's going to be mm-hmm. the 80s bands that are going to be like the Metallicas and stuff. How long will they be around? I don't mm-hmm. know. I hope forever. But you're going to start seeing that um, once we start picking away at these bands that do it old school. Old school is go play the fucking gig, play the shows long form where you're playing a 30-song blistering set. Mm-hmm. And it's not a DJ playing it, you know, playing a hook or whatever. Or, you know, I there was there's a charm to hip-hop shows because you could play... Like Ice Cube, when he would like play 90s sets, would do verse, a hook for a song, maybe another verse, and then he'd segue into like another song. And it would be like, all right, you're getting the best parts. And then ever kind of took that formula. That was a big 90s hip hop thing. So when you see Eminem, you might hear 50 songs of his, right? Mm-hmm. But he's not doing it start to fucking finish. He might do a few of them start to finish, like Lose Yourself. You're not going to want to hear part of it. Yeah. But what I'm getting at is that's all going to go eventually out the window. And then will these new bands rise or will they adapt to what is, you know, what, what the, the mainstream is, which is just like very, um, well, I don't think bands are going to tour like they, they used to. We're, we're, yeah. we're already seeing it. Like I mentioned the oversaturation of mark of a market, mm-hmm. but ultimately what it is, is like, there's these massive fests we have in our city, Riot Fest, Law Blues, a pitchfork. The pitchfork was this past weekend. Mm-hmm. You will see that people are going to be like, well, I really want to play Kansas City on a Tuesday. And it might have a lot of character, but I know who's coming out to Kansas City on the Tuesday, which is a fraction of who would come out to Chicago on a Saturday for a fest. Why mm-hmm. don't we just make people from Kansas City that's just close-ish enough to Chicago come up and see us play in Chicago? Mm-hmm. And then we fly out to play these shows. We don't have to lug gear cross country because there's be rented backline. We get yeah. to see our, we get to see our families throughout the course of the week. We don't have to th- flush our lives on the toilet. Mm-hmm. We don't have to not have regular day jobs. All right, and we can't keep some semblance of a, a regular life going. Mm-hmm. And then we still get to pl- go play gigs. And then the other side is a lot of people kind of. Uh, you know, I don't I don't back this part of it, all right? Because I have a lot of fun stories from it. But a lot of people don't like, um, call it, for lack of a better description, uh, getting into, like, partying scenarios, all right? Where it's, mm. um, people don't like drinking like they used to, which I get it, you know? But, like, there's that. There's, uh, people don't like meeting people like they used to. Because everyone's mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah, you're here, that's cool. I like what, what band shirt you're wearing hey what's up thanks for coming out and then i'm never gonna get your name and there's gonna be no Mm. exchange or if it is it's creepy so because of that people are like fuck it there's no point in me going on the road back in the day you wanted on the road to meet people girls to meet like you know to meet women obviously if you're a dude interested in uh, women or you meet meet, i used to like to meet dudes who were interested in like heavy music wrestling Mm -hmm. whatever the fuck Friends, mm-hmm. I would reconnect with friends. Be like, hey, I know I met you briefly when we went to college together, but my band four years later, after not seeing you, was coming through your city. Mm-hmm. Would you like to come to the show? And they'd be like, hell yes. And then before you know it, we have a friend that we're talking about college with, but what are you up to now? What's it like living in this amazing city of yours? And we're maybe seeing mm-hmm. it the next day with them. And it goes from there. But people are not really stoked on that anymore. 
You know, it's like time yeah. machine. Yeah, honestly, I feel like that's one of the things that did change during COVID. A lot of like the interpersonal interactions that we have, they just kind of went down as well. And like we all for better or worse, really embraced hermit mode to like the nth degree. And now here we are where it's like out in the world again, but everything is different, even though it's supposed to be the same, but it's really fucking not. Oh, so man. yeah, when you we mentioned were... wrestling yeah. and I'm going to cut you off for a bit. Because I have a question. If it's if about wrestling, could... I know it. I love if wrestling. you could get into a fight with anyone from WWE, WWF, who would it be and why? All right. So I'll pick someone who is on the roster now. It would be Cody Rhodes. Because I, why? Uh, I, he's starting to grow on me. Okay? okay. But I've never liked Cody Rhodes. So you want to just. I, and I think I could, I think I could fucking get in a couple of good licks on him. Yeah. And, uh, he's starting to grow on me. Any Cody Rhodes fans out there. I know they're, they're vast. He's starting to fucking grow on me, but, um, yeah, he would be the one I just don't care for him. And also he's very, very popular. So that makes me dislike him a little more. Uh, but one thing I will tell you is anyone who talks wrestling with me, and this is one thing I'm very much pride myself on is I try to not I try to be what's called like objective. Like when I see a John Cena match, like John Cena is my guy or like the, the old guys for sure. I love eighties and nineties wrestling. You wouldn't fucking believe. Mm-hmm. But when a, when a uh, wrestler wants me to cheer for them, I want to cheer for them. And when a wrestler wants me to boo for them, I want to boo them. And I think that a lot of people can't separate that. They, their personal ego gets involved. And that's when mm-hmm. you go to show if any wrestling fans from fucking Chicago are out there and I fucking see all of you, you guys do this shit where they're fucking when uh what's called a, a face or a baby face comes out. That's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Everyone boos them. And then when a fucking heel comes out, a bad guy, everyone fucking cheers. And they're trying to be counterculture. It's so fucking annoying. And we're talking about motherfuckers who are 45 years old doing that shit. It's like, come on, like just be chill. Yeah. You know, like, cause it becomes this hodgepodge of shit. And then, Particularly what it really turns off is what would be known as like the kid fan because the kid gets really confused when you're like a 12 year old and they're like, should I be cheering for this guy? This asshole next to me with, a, with, with beers in his hands is booing him. Yeah. You know? weird. yeah, no, for sure. Uh, for me personally, I just want the undertaker to tombstone me once in my life and I'll be happy. I think undertaker might be coming back. Um, there's a big event that's happening in a couple of weeks in Detroit. I, there's rumor that the Undertaker might be making an appearance mm-hmm. because um, he had a big match there uh, against Batista, who's now known as Dave Batista, who is a mainstream actor. He was just in that mm-hmm. film called, which I saw by M. Night Shyamalan come knock the cabin. And they had a huge match at WrestleMania in Detroit, like in the anniversary ish year of 10 years, I think it's coming up for it or some shit, maybe 15, 20. I don't know, but um, he may be there. Huge Undertaker fan, though. Uh, he was a guy that was such an important character because you're talking about counterculture, which is like, or heavy music and heavy media. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, the amount of metalheads that, that was the wrestler. The Undertaker yes. was their fucking guy. Absolutely. And it was so kick-ass to see, which is, and when you would go, if you watch those old, like, WWF then, pay-per-views mm-hmm. back in the day, it would be, 
when the Undertaker came out, all the metalheads just went apeshit, and all the goth chicks were just like, "Oh, uh, yeah, so badass." So, it was so such cool. a fucking thing. I loved it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you guys are going to have a burger at Kuma's, which I'm super excited for. I love burgers. Um, yeah, they have the best burgers. They actually, yeah. I think, are ranked number one. Like an art, a Forbes came out with an article. I think they they brought them number one. Fuck yeah! Oh my god, that's fucking amazing. Shout out Kuma's. <laughs> but besides burgers, yes, they'll have amazing drinks. What would a something is waiting drink look like? Whether it's a cocktail or a beer, what would it taste like? Two things, which is I have two sets of drinks. All right. Um, I worship vodka sodas, particularly Tito's, Tito's and sodas, and I like a lot of lime into it. I want to grab a lime that's like half a fucking lime and squeeze it until there's a feeling you get when you squeeze that first one. I'm talking while well, I'm talking like a professional drinker right now. You squeeze that first one and the acid of the lime starts eating into your skin. And that's when you know you're doing it right. You're squeezing it. And that's my favorite fucking drink, period. So like a heavy, so that would be a good something's waiting drink, which is a heavy lime-filled vodka soda, not lemon. Lime. Tito's and soda, it's got to be Tito's with the fucking lime. And the other thing, too, would be... um Something that I like doing on mornings sometimes, especially when I go to brunch or whatever, which is if you, this is a bad fucking thing. Um, you ha- start off on, you start off on an empty stomach with bad. a fucking, a fucking, you get a, a big, big domestic beer, like a Miller Lite, ice cold, mm-hmm. and you get a fucking shot at like Jameson. And oh, you, you, you take a couple sips of that Miller Lite to get lubricated. You rip that shot on an empty stomach. You fucking pound half that beer right away. You're feeling really good right in the morning. It's the best yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm sure you are. So, so fucking good. Um, and then also, if that is too abrasive for anyone listening, um, a kick-ass Bloody Mary is the final step, which is something that will ease you into that. Other than that, those are the three things I drink. I don't drink wine. Uh, I don't drink, uh, what was the other shit? Yeah, I'll take a shot of tequila every now and again. Or the other Malort, which is like paint thinner. But I'll do yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I will, yeah, right? Especially at Alarmist, you know? Um, yeah, literally we, every fucking time. They're like, hey, Matty, praise the Lord. And I'm like, what? And I was like, no, I heard you. I just wish you were lying. I was like, fine, I'll so do it. So funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, there's even a more wicked shot. I don't even know the name of it. But if you go around the, uh, the uh, like, northwest side of Chicago, there's a bunch of like bars that um, I think it's like a Polish bar thing. Um, the Northwest side's like, I grew up in Niles, which is a very Polish neighborhood. My mother's Polish and um, fucking, they all have this uh, shot in it, which is like a vodka shot. It's like a, but it's a lemon drop. Yes. I know what the fuck you're talking about. Cause one of my friend's best friends, also Polish lives in the South side. They had the fucking bottle at a party and they're like, here, take it. It was delicious. I don't know. No, but they go down really easy. And then what happens is um, the next day you're like, why am I so hungover? And it's like, uh, well, it's because you had fucking 12 of them and you like, they taste like candy going down or like, you know, lemon. Oh, yeah. So like they'll sneak up on your ass. Other than all the liquors I just named, I don't drink anything other than those, but I just named about 30 <laughs> no, fucking things. Completely fine. So oh. 
For all of those listening, my lovely hummingbirds, Eddie Gobo and I did actually meet at Alarmist Brain and Tap Room. If you haven't tuned into those episodes yet, you definitely should check them out. But oh yeah, I love I, them. The I have to ask, what is your favorite Alarmist beer? It is what I deem the closest thing to what I described, which is like I love Miller Lite style beer. I always have, and it would be crispy boy. Hey. That's the best. It, does, it tastes well. It, I don't want to describe it as Malay. It's the closest thing they produce to a Malay, but that beer is so fucking good. It is. And it's a solid I love it. beer. Um, Pantsless would be a nice runner up, but they have such good shit there. And also, um, you know, I said this recently and it came out beer organic to someone. I go, I think it's the, the best fuck. Oh, I know where I was. All right. I was at a bar in Evanston and I go, You guys got alarmist. And they're like, yeah. Fuck yeah, we do. I go, Dude, it's the best brewery in the city. They go, We probably agree with you i go fuck yeah i really think it's amazing it helps that you dude staff is like a thing where it'll get you the dance you know but at the same time if your shit's not good i'm not gonna say it's good you know their shit's really good their packaging is fucking amazing and you know you know how they brew it ethan's so amazing with like working in different themes and it makes sense the names make sense the packaging Mm -hmm. makes sense tastes different you know it's just like phenomenal stuff i'm mm. very very stoked on it and also i think that um this is something you see not in chicago so i won't name names to whatever but you could easily go out to like um a neighboring midwestern city and go, wind up in a brewery and you could fucking tell the difference between something a brewery that takes time they're you know putting them their um putting their product together and one that just says we're doing a brewery here's our red ale here's our pale ale and it's just like it's so cookie cutter you could tell the fucking mm-hmm. difference um mm-hmm. and the staff is not as vested in it as someone like a brewery that has their shit together um mm-hmm. what got going on it's a really good spot yeah. they really it's do different. i love them uh recently this past was it this it was this past weekend jeez <laughs> everything's a blur since my birthday but i happy birthday I tried Bangarang and it was such a good beer. Like fucking Ethan yeah. was like, I want you to try this. He's like, I want you to give me your honest opinion. And I literally sat there and I was like, oh my God, they want my opinion. I was like, first off, damn, I'm a fucking alcoholic. Secondly, <laughs> I was like, okay, let's try it out. It was so good. And I was like telling him what I felt it tasted like. He's like, right. And he's like, like the champagne of beers. And I was like, oh my fucking God. Yeah. Yes, that's the fucking word of it. And I completely agree. Like every time they put out something, even when they put shit out as a fucking accident, that they're just like, eh, let's test this out. Why not? Let's see what happens. It ends up being so fucking good for no reason. I'm just like, you're right. How do you guys do that? Oh, they're massive. They're really great at what they do. And um, we go, we go all around the United States um, or, you know, whatever. And they, they know alarmists. They know what it is. So like they're, it's probably going to blow up more than it already is but they got a great great operation it's fucking oh, it's, yeah. it's really really fucking good beer oh, and yeah. um, i will i will tell you this though my go-to is pantsless absolutely pantsless awesome. that's really fucking good um everyone's go-to for the most part i mean the most their most popular beer i want to say is lazy it is lazy yeah honestly i feel because it's easier to go down especially if like you're not a big beer drinker like you don't go for the hoppy taste of it and you drink lazy even like people that hate beer will be like, yeah, I could drink this. Right. But 
the one that like and I know that if you don't drink beer you don't you're you're not gonna like this one they haven't done it again but they used to have when they did their vinyls for it the fucking Duke Nukem and I can't remember the other fucking one that they did it was this was a while ago now yeah okay this does ring a bell yes yeah the black can with the, it looks like a fucking vinyl with the red label on it yes okay that that, yes. that does ring a bell yeah Yes, that one. Oh my god, it was one of my absolute favorites. The percentage, though, way high. So you do two of those, you are oh. on your ass. It's it's so funny. I distinctly remember Alarmist back in the days. I didn't even go to it. My friends, uh, Raz and Bogdan, uh, they came to me and they're like, "You got to try out this one brewery." We went there and they're all like, "They just." I just remember them saying, "The beer is fucking tight and the dudes are on the level." And I go, mm. "Really?" And they're like, "Dude, roll through. You're to like these cats." And then uh, rest is fucking history. Like that's really, uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a great brewery. I just DJed there recently, like mm -hmm. like you said. And uh, I think there's more going to be more of that to come. I love uh, I love DJing good environments. Yeah. That uh, you know what I I honestly like I have a residency like at um at House of Blues in Chicago, and mm -hmm. it's so uh, chill there as well. And uh, for the most part, honestly, though, everywhere, everywhere I DJ knew what they were getting into when they de mm -hmm. when they hired me as a DJ, which is they're gonna get they're, it's gonna be loud as fuck for starters, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna play aggressive shit. But there's gonna be some break, like you know, things to break up the monotony of that, you know, some mm -hmm. shit. I go hard with fucking everything I do DJ wise, uh, but they get an alarmist. So yeah, the vibe's killer there. I love it. Oh yeah. So how did you get into DJing? How did you go from alt music? To, I'm gonna fucking play this track. What happened was back in the day, I um, there was a bar called the Exit. The mm -hmm. Exit was at North Avenue in Elston. It's now closed <laughs> down. They have an open pass. Yeah, yeah. Lot, yeah. I, you have like you're laughing. I mean, um, I so many stories there. When you were at Exit late enough to have the lights come on, it was so. It was an aggressive fucking place as far as late oh night. Oh my tour. god, yeah. Oof. Well, what would happen was, yeah, it was good times. It was. What would happen was there would be every Sunday at exit was a metal night. Mm -hmm. All right. And what would happen was when you um I've been playing gigs in the metal scene since I was fucking 15, 16, all right. What would happen was every now and again um they would do actually it would kind of be every week like they would do this dude with rodney would dj who was still he's still wrapping the scene he's a great dude he would dj and then he would have a guest dj so like you would have a like a section of what it would be and then you would bring you would bring your fucking cds and you would queue up a cd and play it and uh, your band had like a cool show coming up to promote or you had a record coming out you would come in and then you would get on the mic and do it and I just found right off the bat that I had a, like a little bit of a knack for it. And I would always like jump on the mic and be like, what the fuck's up, blah, 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 blah. And everyone would be like, you're talking? And I'd be like, yeah, like I'm trying to like rile you guys the fuck up. And it worked. And yeah. then I would play stuff that would be like, that would make sense. And would, would be not obscure, but would fit in. And then it would be like, I haven't heard this shit in a while. And I would maybe get some tips or whatever. And then I, would, I, I found myself starting to get asked back a little bit more than the average person. And mm -hmm. I, distinctly remember, I distinctly remember one time Rodney goes, hey, I'm going to be that dude Rodney I mentioned goes, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going to be in Europe or something. Do you want to like just do a night by yourself? And I go, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that fucking spiraled into 
booking shows at various clubs in the city. So like uh, my friend's man would, would come through on tour or a touring package would come through or just a rad local show. And if you want to throw gasoline on a fire of a local show you book, have a DJ or, or you DJ it. Because it's like, instead of there being this weird, lame, awkward music between bands, it's like you're pounding the night with whatever the theme is. And people are going to stay after for sure. And I just did that for years. And then what happened was I got a residency on Friday nights at Cobra Lounge, which is in the city. It's like at whatever, it's in the West Loop. Did that for like three and a half years. Uh, but all in the interim, uh, like I would do like one-off gigs like Metro and shit, DJ there. And then uh, it started off with at least if there was like a cool rock couple that would have a wedding. Like I would mm-hmm. DJ at the wedding and shit. Because they'd be like, oh, nice. you don't know who to trust other than, you know, a rock. I'm like, I'm your man. And then yeah. it just kind of went from there. But like I fell in love with the concept of, putting there's a there's an art and flow to it that mm-hmm. is, listen if you if anyone saw me dj at alarmist the other day that's kind of an, um me with my hair down because it's like i'm really in an environment where i'm with friends so if you heard me play um a hard-ass heavy metal song piggyback with shania twain it's a yeah. it's a joke yeah which i think i did play it's, it's more of like a joke to rile everyone up yeah what that environment is but if you see me like mm-hmm. cut it a house of blues or wherever fucking metal club mat there's gonna mm-hmm. be more of a serious aspect to it where it's flowy it makes fucking sense mm-hmm. and the key is um jesus christ the nightmare in river north that is people coming up and i play two songs and then fucking someone's coming up and saying hey can i make a request i'm like i played one and a half songs like do you need a request and it's always some vast request that would totally kill the vibe and mm-hmm. I have to wrestle these people because they're 13 drinks deep in River North downtown. And when people, there's, here's a yeah. secret for people, which is, um, and you, you were laughing about it because you get what River North culture is. But like, if you, this is um a psychological thing. If you um are wearing dress clothing, all right, you're more likely to get aggressive or get in a fight. So when people come up and they're like, I have dress shoes on. And, and like a dress shirt and I'm popping out of it. So like, I need to hear my song and I'm like, no, fuck you or whatever. You know, I'm not playing your song. And it's like, what? This sucks. Uh, you yeah. know, it's like, play for keeps. All right. Um, that's why when you go to Vegas and stuff, you'll see, go to Vegas. All right. On like a Friday or Saturday night. And you'll see these motherfuckers from like Philly and shit. Mm-hmm. They fly all the way to Las Vegas and they're holding, they're holding their old lady's hands in a, a casino. And they're gripping their hands so tight, like, come here, we're walking really fast. Because they're all in dress clothes. And it's just like, then they're like, that guy over there who's in dress clothes is looking at me, who's like from Chicago. And it's like, Mm-mm. you guys are both in dress clothes with your wives of 30 years. Everyone needs to fucking relax. No one's going after anyone's territory here. We're all in Vegas. You guys all flew here. You're probably a little tired, probably a little cranky, you probably lost some yeah. money. Chill the fuck out, please. Exactly. River North culture and what I got to deal with when I DJ House of Blues. You know, know, I'll be DJing the 30 Seconds Tomorrow show next week. And, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, that'll be, talk about River North culture arising for that one. Yes, it'll be fucking full tilt. (laughs) River North is its own behemoth. That's for fucking sure because you have either. All the people that went to brunch midweek drinking at like 10 a.m. and are still going hard uh, by like 10 p.m. 
when they're at the club or you have all the business people that hit happy hour and Wednesday hit happy hour they were drinking that shit like it was water so yeah happy hour becomes unhappy hour pretty quick you know it's miserable hour people get really really fucking pissed off here's a little secret I this is a saying I've had since day one nothing good happens past midnight really like I mean like Meaning out, like if you're out at a bar past midnight, like that's where shit could get really fucking whatever. But if you go, you know, and it, it happens like that, right? But um, what's really funny is people were like, all right, like people, if you go to like fucking out on a, on a, at 2 p.m. on a whatever Saturday, people are in bars, like, and that's great. They're having drinks early. They're maybe it's like a brunch. It's maybe a post brunch, whatever. And they're like, I'm going to be in bed by like 8.30 tonight watching true crime. That's a great plan, right? But sometimes, maybe oftentimes, that doesn't happen. And they keep going and going like the Energizer fucking bunny. And then what happens is they end up in a bar in River North, tore up at fucking 11 o'clock. And mm-hmm. it's like, hey, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And they're doing all kinds of stupid shit. And they're asked, and then you being the fucking one dude who's relatively sober DJing, it's like you're the man with one eye in the line land of the fucking blind i had a girl that like was making phone calls on my phone like fucking six months ago she's like i need your phone i can't find my boyfriend blah 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 and the funny thing is this which is i go yeah just go over there and use my phone and fucking call him she finally found him and then the next day i woke up so paranoid because i go she might have been setting me up because she might have opened up like an app i have that like could Mm -hmm. send cash somewhere and send it she Mm -hmm. didn't do anything though she was she was chill (laughs) But she goes, I need your phone. My boyfriend's going to leave. Uh, but it was just hilarious. Uh, some boyfriend, by the way. Uh, but yeah, literally. Said, yeah, so people like the idea of we're going to start early. We're going to start early. But it go, it still goes late. Then you're just becoming a fucking drinker that stops until your head hits the fucking pillow. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. going bed. Oh, yeah. So what is one of, like, the dream shows? If something is waiting could play with anybody, we have, who would it be? It's funny is um, we have, I say this often, which is you ask our band members and there's three of them, our 10 favorite bands, you're going to get about 30 different answers. So uh, that's really good. We, we applaud that. Um, we have a friend's band right now. This is going to be the short answer that I give, which is we have a friend's band right now. They're called Child Bite. We're really good, good friends with them. They're from Detroit that is and i can't even say this without vomiting from excitement for them they are doing a four-day run maybe five days with pantera they're opening Holy up for shit. yeah they're opening up for now it's a pantera reunion tour obviously and everyone knows the ins and outs of that but they are um doing five shows of them yeah and it's uh they're all on the east coast i will be going to see them as this interview airs i would have already seen them i'll be going to see them this coming week in milwaukee they're not doing a chocolate day. But um, Child Bite's not on that date. We actually know that band who's playing them with them that night, which is called Snafu. They're doing different legs of the tour, being done by different kind of up-and-coming badass bands, and both those bands Mm -hmm. definitely are. But keep in mind, like, we're we're tight with Child Bite. We just played with them at a club called Livewire in the city two months ago. We played with them um, two days later at a fest. Actually, they weren't on the same night we were, but we definitely hung out with them at the fest. And now they're playing with Pantera. So the short answer today is going to be Pantera. More realistically would be we try to play and we're really, really fucking spoiled with it, which is when bands come through that are bands that 
are like, you know, the cool bands that come through the clubs and they play Empty Bottle, Cobra Lounge, whatever, Reggie's. We're mm -hmm. very, very lucky to have a list of bands that we've played with already that are just bands that they're like, we need local openers or whatever, or we need one mm -hmm. local opener, and we have gotten the nods on a lot of shows. There's always going to be shows that we don't get, but our bread and butter is really playing shows that are like what would be considered like the local shows and stuff where it's just, or just bands are our size at like a small club, just ripping it. Mm -hmm. uh, but we love playing those big, you know, open up for bigger bands too. Yeah. But it becomes, I said this on another interview, it becomes stupid because what happens is the shows end up starting earlier than usual. And your, your band goes on at 7 PM and you end by 7:30, and people are just getting cobwebs out of their eyes at that time. You know, we're a late band. We always have been. We're, we mm -hmm. always a band that, are like if anyone's curious of what time we go on our record release show, we'll probably go on at 10:30 that night. We will, I think, at 10:30. I think it's our set time, and uh, you'll be home by midnight. You know, if you want to be, you know, like I, I'm gonna want to stay out a little later, you know, and take yeah. off the next day. But <laughs> I'm saying it's a double-edged sword where when you're opening up for a bigger band, you're like, this is so fucking cool, naming lights. But like, who's really getting rolling at 6 p.m. these days? You know. Mm -hmm. so, Very true. <laughs> so child, anyone who's on the east coast listening to the shout out to child bite and go see child bite get there early for child bite when they open up for them. <laughs> there you go uh and i was gonna ask you any shout outs and announcements that you want to make now that we're rolling towards the end of the episode shout outs. uh first thing is this which is please buy our new record absolutely the something is waiting band is available for purchase right now on vinyl uh anyone who's bought it already we thank you so much we uh, dive into the tracks. If you want to hear what it sounds like prior to buying it, you're going to like it. Especially if you like what we've put out in the past, you're really going to like this one. We have a record release show August 8th, 14th. I just got to catch myself doing Same. it. August 4th. <laughs> August, Monday, August 14th is our record release show. It's at the Empty Bottle in Chicago. Uh, again, it's in Ukrainian Village. It's a free show. Uh, it's us and Coke Goat. Our DJ, our friend is DJing Chris Rue. We'll be DJing Vinyl. Uh, that week is what we deem something is waiting week. We'll have a DJ set at Kuma's that week. We'll have our burger at Kuma's starting that week. We will have a record coming out August 18th uh, everywhere. Uh, so if you want to get it then, if you're not in the city of Chicago, we could see the, the record release show. And it's off of races from there. I definitely know we have some out-of-town dates almost immediately after that, including St. Louis at the end of the month. We are playing Louisville at the end of the month as well. So if you're in those areas, come see us there. And then I already have a bunch of dates on the books that we haven't announced yet. We'll be back at Nashville some, uh, sometime in the fall for sure. Uh, we're hitting some newer markets. We're going back to Michigan for sure, um, Ohio. Our bread and butter is always going up to Wisconsin, Minneapolis. Minneapolis is where our record label is based out of called Learning Curve. And they get us a lot up there because they understand what we're doing. So we plan on having a very busy year. So just keep your eyes fucking peeled. And then other than that, when I'm home, I will be either going to shows or hanging out at a place like Lovely Alarmist, as we spoke of, or, you know, whatever, just chilling, relaxing, watching football, coming around the corner, you know? There you go. So you've played at a few venues now Yeah. in the city of Chicago. The band has played at a few venues outside of Chicago. What are your top three favorite venues here in the city and that you've gone to outwards? Three venues that we, and I'm, oh, it sucks because there's so many good ones in our city, all right? 
fuck. And it's hard because I'm going to leave some people out that It couldn't love. all be easy questions, you know? Empty bottle is going to be one for sure because we're having a record release. There's a reason we've had, I think, all three of our record release shows there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love it. So we're supposed to be back there. Right up there with Empty Bottle mm-hmm. is for sure Livewire on the north side. Our uh, nice. friend Dave Horniak owns it. That club is my favorite club to be at, for sure. I mean, it's right up there with them. It, it, and on any given night, I could, if a show's happening at Bottle or Livewire and I'm on the fence about going to it, I'm going. Um, because I like being at those clubs a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one would be tied with Cobra Lounge and Reggie's. Both are great clubs with great bookers. Um, I'm there relatively often. I think that Cobra Lounge would get the nod because Reggie's on the south side. Mm-hmm. It's just that once I get down there, man, like they just have it, they have it down so right. And I want to like, I'll use this as an opportunity. I, I went there recently and I fucking acted a fool because I was, I had a long day. Uh, so I apologize to anyone on the Reggie staff that I offended that evening. Oh no. Um, what? I love your Reggie staff. I love your club so much. I've been going there forever and I will be back there soon. I will be arising again soon. Please forgive me. I'll buy you drinks. <laughs> I owe you guys one. Listen, we all have a rough nights, man. I was on a boat all day. But that being said, uh, that night, oh, I'm sorry, that club rules and Cobra Lounge is the shit. I was at Cobra Lounge this weekend. They had a fest that was fucking amazing called the Rumble there, which is a hardcore fest in the parking lot. Uh, they're starting to do... If you are in the city of Chicago around the suburb, Cobra Lounge is starting to do it multiple times a year now where they're starting to have fests in the parking lots on the street blocking it. It's a really good outdoor vibe. It's fucking great. Uh, All those places have always really good food, really good beer. So those are our spots. As far as out of towns, the ones I'm thinking of right now, St. Vitus in New York, in Brooklyn, is the number one um, metal club in the United States. It's the best. It's... Everyone, those that know, know. If you've been there, it's just the best fucking club. And it sounds great. It's in the cool area. Uh, if you're, they have, they don't even have great bands come through, even though they do. They have unbelievable bands come through. Like, you'll see on off nights, um, not even off nights, they'll be like, they'll have, if Megadeth wants to play a secret show or whatever, they'll play there. Or uh, Foo Fighters played there. Or fucking, God knows who, David Cross played there not too long ago. Um, it's just a great club. And that's one of my favorites. There's actually, uh, there was a club which just closed down. I want to give a shout out to called Annabelle's in uh, Ohio, uh, in Akron, Ohio. I want to give it a shout out as one of our favorite clubs because we had, we played there recently and it was on St. Patrick's Day. We had such a great time. And then fucking a month later, we, we found out that that was essentially one of their last metal shows and they were closing down. So it's gone. But that was such a fucking great club. We love a spot that we'll be back at soon called the Cobra, not the Cobra Lounge, but the Cobra Nashville, which is fun. We're going back to a spot called Highlands Tap Room in Louisville, which is like a great Polish in the wall bar that we love tearing up at. There's a club called Mickey's in um, Madison, which is wild. Um, more for sure, a venue we love playing. And this is one of the ones that will make our list is one called Mortimer's in Minneapolis. We love playing there. Um, and then, so it would be Vitus, Mortimer's, and then, um, fourth one, I don't know. Or it would be any of those ones I mentioned are all good picks. There you go. But the thing (laughs) is this, which is, everyone knows this with bands is you have the good venues that you, that you go to and you want to keep recurring, but 
once the word gets around that they're a good venue, they become harder to uh, book and you got to book farther down the line. But we always have a, we always are lucky. You know, it's just, we never, the one thing you want to try to avoid is doing shows that are out of town where you're off so much of a beaten path that it's like impossible to get to. You want to try to be in like a vibrant area or neighborhood and it usually works out for us. Um, so we're, again, we're lucky with that. Yeah. The shows, I will say this though, which is, it's really, the venue is all about, it, it could be a rad venue all fucking day long, but if the crowd isn't into it or not there or they're detached from it or they're uh, sitting there with arms folding, it doesn't, the crowd is what makes the show. Mm-hmm. So that leads into one of my almost to final questions. Yeah. What makes a good band? What makes a band successful? What really drives the show for oh, them really? to then move forward? That's a really great question. It's um, easier said than done. It's damn near impossible. But the best thing you could do is have people. This is hard. You have people that are of trying. You're trying to find an equal talent across the board, talent level, mm-hmm. right? Even if you guys, even if your band all sucks, right? But you have a lot of heart. Yeah, that's good. It's good. It's better to have three, three or four people that just suck or not. I would call novice at their instruments than one virtuoso and then fucking three people that suck because you're only as good as your weakest link in bands. And that uh, guy who's shredding up a storm is going to stick out like a sore thumb. So the mm-hmm. first thing is you want to have people all at comparable levels. What mm-hmm. that means too is if you're like, I would consider the two individuals I jam with in my band, very high level musicians for heavy music. They really are. And that pushes me to be a high level vocalist. Then when I get to a certain good spot with my vocals, I guarantee it pushes them too to be get better at their instruments or more streamlined in the process or better riff writers. And that's the key, which is you you want to be on the same level. When I bring up that punk rock band reference of if you all suck, it's good because mm-hmm. you're all going to grow together. You're all going to be like, we need to get better. There's someone pushing it and you're not going to be intimidated by one guy who's shredding up a storm and you're just in the background being an asshole. So that's important. You want to be able to like and have the same vision for the band, mm-hmm. but also have a vast amount of influences that are all different. I mentioned this before. Uh, I think that our band has 30 different uh, favorite bands uh, as far mm-hmm. as three people, and that's very, very important as opposed to if you have the same five favorite uh, bands, that's what you're going to fucking sound like. Usually mm-hmm. with that, though, it's like we have the same two favorite bands, and we're going to sound just like those bands. There's no need for it. So you got to have those two things together, which is, um, and then the ability, uh, the final thing would be this, which is um, the ability to do it. What happens is, so uh, the first two things are very important. The third thing of ability to do it would be if you're a person who has a lot of side projects or a person that, um, and I respect anyone who works, we work our ass off in our, our occupations throughout the course of the week, but we still make time for the band. If we didn't have the time to do it, it would drag everyone down. And we are a band that we like doing it. We like playing shows. We like it. So we make time for the band. We jam multiple times a week, especially if we have something significant coming up, and we play multiple shows a month. And um, really, we'll be doing longer runs. So it's the we're all self-employed, so it's the ability to um, say, I'm going to stock up my work and then uh, be able to go off for a little bit and, you know, mm-hmm. let me go our businesses haven't imploded you know yeah i think all those things together uh, would be it i think also uh being on the same level as far as like what would be the owners like maturity goes 
we're mm-hmm. uh, we're not mature by any stripes, but we're not immature. You know what I'm saying? Like we still like yeah. to tear it up. But when you're a band that like has one guy that's like, no man, this shit doesn't fucking fly, and one guy's like, what? What the fuck, man? It, it yeah. just doesn't. We all have to be have the same kind of, you know, order to it. Yeah, being the same mindset. Mindset. So yeah. So one of my things, you know, a bunch of people across various forms of art. You interact with a lot of people as you go to shows and all this stuff. And through chit chat of life and drinks and music, what is some of the best advice that you have ever gotten as an artist from either another artist or just life in general? Well, first of all, the number one piece of advice I give to people is, and I think this hopefully touched some people because people like talking about wanting to get their bands rolling or whatever. And I always say the line, uh, this is my line, which is if you believe others will believe. Okay. So that means if you're going and you're like, I don't know if this is good, blah, blah, blah. You have to just be at a point where you're like, I'm confident in this. And then, and only then will other people be confident in your project or whatever you're putting out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same goes for visual art, any type of art, which is you Mm -hmm. can say, this is the shit. And this is worth, this is worth being out there. Okay, so that's my number one piece of advice. The best piece of advice I got was actually not a piece of advice ever. And I just rethought of it recently. I think about it like once every couple of years and you never know when it's going to come up. But a long time ago, I was, when I was a young man, I was talking with a guy that was in a very very important band that was like kind of blowing up, all right? Mm -hmm. And I was running a show for him. And I was talking with him, but his band was about to fucking blow up. His band's now broken up, by the way. And they're they're never to be heard from again. But oh, I was talking to him about bands that were um, rad. Okay? And the best piece of advice I got from him was just more like a cautionary tale, which was I was talking to this rad dude, all right, whose band was blown the fuck up, super popular, about to get even more popular. And I was talking about these rad bands who were coming up. And he's like, yeah, I don't know them. And I'm like, you haven't heard of that band? And then I would name another band and he'd be like, yeah, I don't know them. And then I started to realize this guy doesn't know jack shit about music. And it was maybe a defense mechanism. Like if I don't, if it doesn't exist, that means my band's all all that much better. But what I learned from that was a fucking tip of an iceberg, which is, and I said this on another podcast recently, which was the best advice I ever got, which is something I had to piece together, which is sad for me to say the majority of people in bands don't listen to music. They really don't. They, they do it where, yeah, at their own convenience when it's like putting fucking a stereo on in the car, got it. But as far as like listening to it and fucking Mm -hmm. absorbing it, start to finish trying new bands. They don't do it. They don't do it like they should piece of advice that was a cautionary tale to me i said if i'm gonna be in this creating it i need to have my fucking ear to the ground i need to listen to stuff i like i need to listen to stuff i don't like Mm. but i will will find something good in it what what to do what not to do throughout the course of it uh you need to be if you're in anything that's art related you need to be a student of the fucking game and that guy wasn't a student of the game that's why he is where he is now which is he's probably retired from music, never to be heard from again because he wasn't a student of the game. That's my best piece of advice I received from someone, but it came out in a sideways fashion. It was just me talking to a guy saying, have you heard of this band? And then I would go on to the next one. Hadn't heard of any of them. 
Yeah. No, say that you bring up a really good point. Cause like the friend that I had mentioned that like we share music and everything and I'll tell him, I'll be like, okay, I can hear it right now, but like, give me a few hours and I'll actually sit down and listen to it. Because one of the things that we talk about is how people hear music, but they don't actually listen. Listening is where you're like intentionally, you could be doing whatever else, but actually paying attention to what the fuck you're listening to. In my opinion, the best thing is you sit down, you lay the fuck down, you chill out somewhere and like, just listen to it through. Oh yeah. And obviously it'll take a few listens. Like if you're going anywhere on fucking CTA, you're going to be on there for an hour anyways. (laughs) Oh, right. Why not listen to a full album? But when we were younger and like he's been playing music since we were in high school when we were younger I would like show him like all this random shit that he would never fucking listen to right and I remember yelling at him once and I was like you're so fucking stupid and he's like why I was like because music is just music and he's like what I was like music like any art form you have to learn from everything I was like because in order to grow and try something new and expand and build who you are you have to pick up something from everywhere. I'm like, even if it's something you don't fucking like, at least be aware that that shit's out there. You're right. right? That's it. It's been, that's so important. That is so so important. If you're a yeah. person that if you're a person that directs horror films, we need you. We need you. But at the same time, if you're a person that only watches horror films and directs horror films, you're gonna put out a fucked up product. You're not gonna have the best. Is when you have a horror film that is um, riddled with the right amount of drama or comedy and this, and you don't know that shit of what it is until you embrace all types of film. Um, mm-hmm. You'll you'll see so many films that are like new school horror. I, I, we don't need to talk about horror films to so be gone for a long time with that, but you'll see films that are like have aesthetics in them that like are like Japanese film cult culture. And it's just like, yeah. you have to be a student of the fucking game. That's it. So just mm-hmm. embrace it. And also the other thing too is this, which is it all, all art works within itself. So it's like, if you read a lot, if you go, um, I really have gotten into visual art more than ever. I mean, I always was a fan of it. I think at one point I made fun of it a little bit because I was, um, I don't want to be one of those kids who goes to a gallery or whatever, that old thing. But like, yeah. I, so, I so fell in love with that. I still don't like going down to like the art institute because I don't like where it's located really. Like I just, I hate getting down like that Michigan Avenue strip of tourists or whatever. But um, I went to a gallery in Cal- Colorado recently, and it was just like a Tuesday afternoon, and I was there by myself with mountains like adjacent to me, and I was it was so peaceful, and I was just like embracing this art, and it was so lovely, and that's great. So yeah. again, I'm not ripping on the art too, but we know the vibe down there, which is it's very tourist, it's very hey sign up for mm-hmm. this, hey come watch the ship, blah blah blah. But when you catch a good gallery or whatever, it's it's amazing. It could be life changing, you know? Yes, absolutely. Especially if you're an artist, like always pay attention to what's happening because art is so fluid. It's so interchangeable. Like there's so many things that can correlate with one another. Like you've seen music videos from all these different types of bands that will include animation into their music video or do some type of like stop motion shit. Like there's so much. I don't know. I think the arts, everyone can benefit from helping each other. <laughs> it's just my last tidbit. I, I totally back that up. It's the presentation of everything. It's just like when you go to a gallery and it's like you're in an exhibit and there's soft music playing in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to a brewery, like we mentioned before, and you see a mm-hmm. beer can that tastes a certain way, but the label matches it. And well, that's cool as fuck. And, um, you know, I just go, we, there's a million examples, but 
the best art is like layered, you know, where it's just like there's you know, it's coming at you from all ends and it's really creating a vibe. And that's really, really what's good. Yeah, I, t- I totally back that. Absolutely. Well, that is the end of the interview. I am out of questions for today, I, at least. You're such a great interviewer because usually these dudes interview me and they fucking poke and prod at me and get me really riled up. And I had a nice, easy, fluid conversation with you with a cup of tea next to me. Like, this there doesn't is- happen that often. This is going to be the most chill interview I do for a long time. Trust me. So you got something very nice out of me. I wasn't, I would have gone ape shit if you would have just dragged it out of me. But when it comes down to it, this was the best. It was so chill. Oh, I'm so glad that you loved it. Yeah, yes. no, I definitely, I see a bunch of interviews and it's, it's very. Yeah. Dude, and I'm like, dude, oh my God, especially guys who give interview me, they know how to fucking poke me and push my buttons. And I have another interview coming up this fucking week. And I already know the guy's going to fucking, him and I are going to fight within the first two minutes. So get, get your popcorn. <laughs> oh, I'll be ready. Don't you worry. <laughs> be like, damn, that's crazy. You're like, you were like talking with like um, a Diane Sawyer interview back in the day or whatever. It was nice, easy, chill, you know, great, great. <laughs> I'm glad you loved it. Um, any final thoughts? Any final things you want to say no, to I hope everyone to listening? Everyone at the record release show August 14th. I hope to see you come when uh, we come through your city. Thanks for listening to music. Uh, Keep listening to this amazing podcast. Uh, thanks for having me on. Your best mark. No problem at all. Thank you so much, Eddie Gobo. I really appreciate it. Everyone, please tune in. Go to the show. Listen to Something Is Waiting. And yeah, definitely buy the fucking album because uh, why not? You don't spend more on drinks anyway. I know. That's very true. Buy drinks and the album. There you go. And tip your fucking industry staff because they need it. Uh, but yeah, that's it. As always, les mando mucha paz, muchos besos, y les recuerdo que miren hacia la luna, sending you much peace, many kisses, and reminding you to always look up the moon. I love you all so much, and I will catch you on the next one. Bye. Well, my lovely hummingbirds, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And to close us off in such a rocking way, we have none other than Something is Waiting, House of Style. Enjoy, and make sure you go to the show on Monday. Bye. Come into my house. Oh, great!